Hey, Happy New Year. Welcome to the 279th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Logan. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of pod, at least 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Last week's was like almost an hour. Talked about one of my favorite movies from the 80s, some kind of wonderful, full-on full on recap, detailed trivia, tidbits, and stuff like that. Sometimes I do off-my-mind topics, which I'm actually going to do this week. I'm going to gonna just go on about a, a certain topic in the world of comics that, would be, um, that I touched on uh, in recent weeks on, on the regular show. And sometimes I talk about like classic story, comic book arcs. But... If you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. That is ko-fi.com slash heck. So uh, thanks uh, recently to Brian and to Mike who have, have gotten me some some coffees. Truly appreciate every little bit helps. You know, I, I, I hate including that every every you know intro of the podcast asking. I'm, I'm asking for money. I'm begging for money. You know, I, I I won't won't deny it. Uh, that's what's really the driving force for for this show. You know, like I, I need that. Uh, there's are there's so many costs, and <laughs> running a podcast is not necessarily a profitable thing unless you got you know sponsorship or something like that. And I don't really seek that out, whatever, or push it promote. I don't know. Anyways, we're not here to talk about that, but if you can help out, it's it's greatly appreciated. And and you know, if you want more podcasts, I'm trying to make that whatever as much as you can. So not only are you supporting the show, I'm trying to give you extra you know content in in re- return. So it is uh, what I'll make it what you what you want it to be within reason. As far as this week, uh, we're gonna try to do a regular show. You know, it is the holidays, and I'm I'm trying to squeeze them in here. I'm determined to give you to deliver a an episode every single week. You know, it, it's been I don't think I'm I'm pretty sure I have not missed a single week. So this is 279 weeks in a row. <sighs> and, and I'm gonna make it happen. I'm gonna keep keep doing it. Um, I, it's gonna be bad the, the time I have to. Maybe it'll just be like a 10 minute pot. I don't. I couldn't. I can't even see doing that. We'll try to make it happen. Um, just we need need some sort of a consistency. I mean, sometimes crazy things happen. Like uh, I don't want to get into certain things, but uh, yeah, I mean, things were a little rough. You know, last week's got some. Pretty horrific news, but you know, just try to try to go on. So uh, let's not dwell on that because this isn't a bring everyone down podcast. So I'll I'll just keep that bit to to myself. As far as what we're gonna talk about, or I'm gonna talk about this week, I went and saw Babylon. So I know that came out. I think it was uh, Christmas Day or you know day before Christmas, and um, I I liked it. it. People are are talking about it being a flop and um. It's it's really too bad, and I, I think that there's different reasons for it not doing so well, and and the fact that it's a long movie, it's not really a, it is not a family movie, you know, it has no rating, and um, I, I there was virtually no promotion. I I don't remember seeing really anything. I saw like a trailer once. I'm like, what what the crap is this? I'm like, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, what? 
So I, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was just a really um, interesting story and just great performances. So, you know, you'll hear, hear about that later. I, I do recommend you, you seeing it. But it's just, it really, <laughs> I know I'm going to stop talking about it right now. I'll talk about it later. But it just, it really irks me when people are, it's like people are purpose, are like, they're trying to make it, they're calling it a flop. And what, what's ridiculous is they're saying it's Margot Robbie's second flop because apparently Amsterdam didn't do so well, which I still need to watch that. I'm, I'll probably talk about that on a secret podcast soon. Uh, but it's, I don't, I wouldn't, wouldn't even say Amsterdam was Margot Robbie's movie. And I wouldn't say Babylon is her, not necessarily her movie, but it's, it's to, to put the blame on her. That's, that is such absolute crap. And it's, it's just r- ridiculous. And so see the movie. Uh, I, if, if you, you know, listen to if you, my opinion, you can go with that. Um, and then as far as that, it's just going to be a couple more episodes of His Dark Material. So I, I believe the show is now over. I'm, I'm still trying to catch up. So I'm just going to do, I'm only going to do two this week. I'll do two next week and then probably one more the week after. So it's even though the show's over, it, it will we'll carry it on for a little bit. And that's just how it goes. I mean, they kept dropping two episodes. Didn't they drop three the first week? No, was it two? I don't even know. And then another episode of, of National Treasure, Edge of History. I'm I'm enjoying that show. It's it's cheesy. It was this week. It I was a little less cheese this week. And um, I, we'll we'll talk more about that. Uh, there there was an, another callback through through the movies, which which was nice. And then Doom Patrol. I am loving Doom Patrol. This is, is it's it's such a such a good show. So uh, let's get on to the news. There actually wasn't a whole lot of news, and I think it's because of the holidays or whatever. So you know, maybe just not a lot going on. You know, I think I talked about the Zachary Levi stuff last week about him kind of defending you know James Gunn and uh, the other guy. I keep forgetting the other guy's name, Safran, um, P- Peter Safran. I don't know. And he's just like, just just relax. You know, just just see what's going to happen. And he, you know, he he points it out that you know not everyone liked the other stuff and from a business point you know you have to try to appeal to as everyone as possible i just think that that the, the snyder cult or as, as people refer to him the snyder army whatever they're just as this very very extremely vocal minority that's not whatever everyone said and i i just i don't understand it and i'm not trying to knock those movies they do have their merits i they weren't my favorite thing but there's so many people who are like, like, oh, if you're a true fan, you'd love these movies. Absolutely not. Superman, don't, don't, don't get me started on this. Superman does not kill. So how can you say you're a true Superman fan and you support him murdering someone? Or making out with Lois Lane while millions of people are dying, buried in rubble after the, the Kryptonian battle. And, and, and Batman just machine guns on a Batmobile, shooting everyone. Yeah, that that is so true to the comics. But anyways, you know, I, I love Henry Cavill. I love Ben Affleck. I love Gal Gadot. I, you know, they're they're all great. It was great casting, but no. <laughs> so, and you know, if you're looking at this ten year plan, you know, you you have to uh, you have to make some concessions and, and you know think about trying to rebuild and start over. It happens. I mean. You know, a lot of people thought Michael Keaton was the best Batman, and then you know he he only did two movies, and then you know then we got Val Kilmer, which I like Val Kilmer as, as Batman. I was even 
okay with George Clooney. That was not a good movie, and maybe it wasn't his best performance, but these things happen, and you, you just just you know give it a chance, and uh, it, it it would happen eventually. You know, it's not like these actors would were going to play the characters forever. You know, maybe they were going to do another movie. In Ben Affleck, it's so hard to say whether he's going to do it or not because you know he was he's back and forth whether he's going to do it or not do it. I only think he only did the the cameo for Aquaman was because it was a cameo as Bruce Wayne, not as Batman. I don't think he was like a big fan of the suit. So, you know, you, you can't say, oh, man, they're ruining this because, you know, maybe like Gal Gadot would have done Wonder Woman 3 and then maybe she'd be like, okay, I, yeah, I want to do some other stuff. I want to do another Fast and Furious movie <laughs> somehow. So we have all that. Anyway, so I think I talked about that last week, so I won't, won't touch on it again. Uh, this week, last week was Stan Lee's, would have been his 100th birthday. So, you know, a lot of celebration over that. And uh, it, it turns out that Disney Plus is going to do a documentary on him that's going to come out in 2023. It's a, it's, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of unfortunate it didn't come out. He's like, why not, you know, put it out on his birthday? But whatever, you know, don't rush it. They, they should have planned ahead, but maybe who knows what the, what the reasons for it. But we, so we have that to look forward to. Also this week, we have uh, The Bad Batch Season 2. We have that to look forward to. That starts on January 4th. And uh, they're going to drop two episodes. So you, you can get ready for that. So just what I love, right? Two episodes of a show. Oh, man. But, uh, Doctor Who. So I, I I don't know if I'm going to talk about Doctor Who because I'm so far behind in Doctor Who. And I feel compelled. I, I want to watch the Jodie Whittaker episodes. I had issues with the writing. I love Jodie Whittaker as an actress. She was, she was great in that show. Um, and I, I always forget it. It's it actually with David Tennant. And uh, great performance. I mean, she's she's so good in that. And you know, I I'm okay with her being the doctor. It's, I've talked about that you know time and time again. You know how I felt about it and everything. I felt that it should have happened later. You know, I I think you know where we're going is in the right direction, and then we could have brought her on. I I don't think we should have had a female Doctor Who. I just I I get that you're saying that it's an alien and maybe the, the gender is fluid and all, but it just seems weird for, you know, he was like over a thousand years old and he's never changed into a dude. And there's been female time lords. I, I've said all this before. So anyways, there was a, a trailer for the Doctor Who 60th anniversary thing with uh, with David Tennant. Um, I'm a, I, I don't, don't really know. I, cause I don't want to read too much. I don't, even though I cover the news, you know, like this every week, I try to gather up the news and try to, you know, find everything. Sometimes I don't want to dig too deep. And, and sometimes I, I, I read more than I would naturally want to. And it's just like, that's just, that's how it goes. But with this, like David Tennant stuff, I'm not really sure the full details of it. And, and maybe not a whole lot has been released. I'm assuming that this is kind of like a lost flashback adventure like before he changed to matt smith because you know they they do that those with with like the the novels and audiobooks or whatever where they'll they'll bring these you know there's there's i i think i listened to like one with christopher Eccleston who you know it's like wait he was such you know such a short span and and then he changed into david Tennant, but we'll have to see so um it's it's very interesting the the twist and with with donna so um we have that to look forward to. Um, I forget when when that's coming out. Uh, Avatar, which I think it was, was it last week? It feels like it was so long. No, it was two weeks ago I talked about that. Because last week I talked about Glass Onion, right? Uh, Avatar, Way of Water, has crossed a billion dollars worldwide. So I, I think it's like at 
0.03 billion as I as I speak with this. So it has like 317 million domestic and then 712 million world or international. So 300 million domestic. So I mean that's where you have to look at this. It, it, it's interesting when they talk when they do these numbers. Because I always thought, I felt like with like the Marvel movies, and and I'm only bringing up the Marvel because James Cameron brings them up all the time. It's like he's he's so obsessed with them, but it it feels like when the movies that they they mainly I could be totally wrong, but it feels like they mainly focus on the the U.S. box office when when you know Captain Marvel reaches a billion dollars or Avengers Endgame reaches a billion dollars, you know whatever. But I I don't know. If, if you look at the other movies, so Spider-Man No Way Home, I saw two different numbers, and this is according to Box Office Mojo, but it looks like Spider-Man No Way Home, and that came out December of, of 2021, so it had a little bit, some of the, these don't really count for 2022, but it looks like it had 800 million domestic and 1.1 billion international, so it's like at 1.98 or 1.9 billion worldwide. Again, that's like a year's worth of movie. Top Gun Maverick, which, which has been out since like May. I don't think it's ever left theaters or some theaters. Uh, may, it's probably gone by now. But it's made $700 million domestic and like $770 million international. So it's like at $1.5 billion worldwide. But then I saw it that's listed as higher than Spider-Man No Way Home. And it might be because Spider-Man did a bunch of did money in December of 20. I don't, I don't know. So I mean, it's it's great, you know. We I that's why you got to support the the theaters. You know, it's good for the theaters, good for Hollywood. We have to support these movies to make sure they they keep making them. Because if movies aren't making money, then they're not going to keep keep doing it. And that's that's kind of what like the Quentin Tarantino and you know the Martin Scorsese what they're complaining about is that you know we're all we're getting is these superhero movies, which I love obviously, but you know we do need these other types of movies as well. You know I I'm not saying that we shouldn't have the superhero movies. You know, get another one coming up, awesome. I'm there. But seeing something like Babylon, I absolutely loved that movie. And and I I think it was was great to to see something different, you know, and I I you know, why not? <laughs> we should have that. It was I I think I I saw something like um David Harbour was saying that he wanted a a silent or violent night like cinematic universe. I forgot who he said he wanted as like the Easter Bunny, and there's someone else. I, I I'm down with that. I I would would totally love that, but we'll, we'll see see if that's going to happen. I'm um, speaking of the big superhero movies. Uh, apparently, uh, Don Lee Gilgamesh is going to be returning in Eternals too, uh, because his talent agency or something like that mentioned that he's going to be doing that at some point or soon. Now it's in, it's interesting for a couple things. I need to see Eternals again. I've only seen it once. And it wasn't like a huge success, but it's a Marvel movie. You know, I I feel like we we need to have a, another movie, maybe a little more focus. I feel like there's just way too many characters and I couldn't tell you like half the the characters names and and I just know a little bit from the comics, you know, trying to read the comics. But that's the thing is uh Gilgamesh apparently did not survive the first movie so how could he be back if you read the comics the, the karen gillen comics you know that eternals it's not really a spoiler if i say this uh, I, they may not even do this in a movie but eternals can be revived at the cost of a human life and and that's like something that was interesting in the comics where you saw that where they're coming back and everything and then they had no idea 
that it was costing a human life. And then once they realize that, they're like, whoa, 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 we this this is not cool. We can't do this. Can't sacrifice some you know innocent human for for our carelessness or whatever. So who knows if if they'll they'll touch on that? But we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I like I said, I Eternals two. I'll, I'll see it for sure, even though it's not at the top of my list. Um, what is closer to the top of my list is uh, Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania. I'm, I'm really curious to see what they're going to do with this. Peyton Reed, I don't know why this came out or if it really matters or anything like that, but he basically confirmed that Cassie Lang will be 18 in, in this movie. Maybe he's like no no child endangerment or whatever. You know, she's an adult. But part of, of I think, one of the things that's going to come up is the... the, the fact that they lost some time that uh because scott lang was was stuck in a he was in the quantum realm right he i'm, I'm trying to run i need to watch all these movies again but he was was stuck in there i don't think he wasn't gone because of the blip or no was he no he was gone because of the blip yeah wait but then what happened with the rat that, that did something i i'm no, 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 no. Okay, he went into the quantum realm. Hank and and Janet, everyone, they were blipped out. And then so that's why Scott was stuck in the quantum realm because he had gone in there, right? That's how it is. Oh, my goodness. I edit? Yeah, that's not going to happen. So she's 18. So part of it is going to be the fact that he lost five years, you know, with, without her. She thought he was dead. And so I'm, I'm really curious just to see, you know, I, I, I like a good father-daughter story. So I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, did I mention that 90s show last year? I, I should I should have checked. But there was a trailer that came out like late last week. And um, I'm interested in, in watching this. So it uh, it's going to come out on January 19th. The, the trailer looks almost a little too reminiscent to the show, you know, cause it, besides the fact that it's in the same basement and everything like that, but I that's okay. I'm I'm really hoping because of the the original, you know, creators are involved that it's going to be good and not really bad. So we'll see. Will I cover that on the show? That's that's a tough one because one, it's a sitcom. Sitcoms I feel like don't really play as well. But then the other thing is they're going to drop all episodes at once. So I just I don't think I'm going to be able to watch enough we'll see um i'll try to watch as much as as i can and just give my impression but i don't think i'll cover the, the full show maybe we'll see um oh also back to marvel charlie cox this came out i think late last week also or the week before he he talked about um daredevil on disney plus and and he's like yeah it's uh it's gonna be dark but it's not gonna be as gory as the netflix stuff which makes some and i i'm sure i know there's many people complaining about that but like what he's saying, he's like that. That's okay because it doesn't have to be. And he's like, you know, why not open it up to a wider audience? Which I, I totally agree with. And you know, you could have dark and gray. I mean, you look at some of the stuff. Like I'm trying to think what what Moon Knight was. Moon Knight was violent, and you know, you can do it. You don't have to have like just blood and guts and you know open wounds. And you can you can do it. Edit it very carefully. Mm-hmm. And, you know, have things off camera and still be gruesome enough, you know, strongly suggested. So I, I'm down with that. And this is a weird thing is like when you look at most of the comics, Daredevil gets in a fight every once in a while. But I, I would never say Daredevil's like an uber violent guy. You know, it's not like the Punisher, like killing and, you know, torturing or, you know, maiming people all the time. Daredevil 
does what needs to get done, but it's not like he's just randomly just like just pounding and beating. You know, he he defeats, he apprehends the the bad guys or whatever, but he's not going to sit there and beat on them. So we'll we'll see. But uh, okay, Jesse L. Martin. So this isn't really superhero whatever related, but Jesse L. Martin, as you know, is, is one of the best parts of the Flash. He seems like such such a great guy. Uh, you know, he played Joe West, and he's not going to be on this season very much because he had a, a show on NBC. He did a pilot. So the um, irrational is what it's called. It's actually getting a full series. So it, they they filmed a pilot from it for it, and I guess NBC is like, yeah, this this looks good. So it's going to be a series. I don't know if I'll watch because it's NBC. I don't really watch a lot of you know network television, but I don't know. It's um, he plays a behavioral scientist who helps solve higher stake problems. I that doesn't sound like oh my gosh, I need to see that. But Jesse L. Martin, he's so charismatic. I, I think that he he could be you know make the show worth watching. So, but a lot of times these shows. I mean, it's like my problem with with Quantum Leap. You know, I they I have this strong interest in the Quantum Leap franchise or whatever, but it's just this like the the formulaic problem of the week thing. I just I can't really do that, and and maybe that sounds hypocritical compared to other things that I might like. I don't know. I just sometimes I just want a little more variety. I don't know. And then uh, the last bit of news, which I guess it was more news than I thought. You know, I, I felt this was going to be like like five minutes of news, but apparently Ryan Johnson is pissed off that they had to use uh that they use knives out in a title of, of glass onion when you watch the movie i'm like 99.9 percent sure it just says glass onion on, on the screen it doesn't say knives out a knives out mystery but in all the promotion and everything like that they're referring to it as that he the reason he's pissed off is because he wants the movies to stand on their own. He wants each mystery, each to be like a separate novel or whatever, and not necessarily tie into anything that happened before. But he's like, I get it, you know, that it's a marketing thing, and I, I, I just think it's funny. I think a lot of people were really focusing. I mean, you see a lot of headlines about him being pissed off about that, and he's just, he's just bummed a bit. But you know, you have to see the studios pouring all this money into it and they want to make sure to people who saw and loved the first one that they know it's a continue or it's the same character so yeah it makes sense and and he was also kind of kind of bummed that it wasn't in a theater longer you know he i guess he said it was nice that they did allow it to go into theaters for a week and you know people have admitted that yeah they, they left money on the table by only putting it there for one week but again it's you know netflix paid all this money for the rights or whatever so they want people to watch it you know on on their on the network and the streaming because that's what they're they're, they're that's their point that's where they, they they get their whatever their numbers so uh yeah that's it <laughs> and that's it cut that's worse okay so it's it's i think people are just blowing it make a bigger deal out of it than than it it has to be. So that's going to be the news for this week. Let's move on. With comic books at Image, there wasn't a whole lot um, that I read. You know, there's 20th Century Men, issue 5 or 6 came out. I read the first issue. I It didn't pull me in. Um, Creepshow, uh, I think, came out. Wait, no. Creepshow, those are just... I thought Creepshow came out. Maybe issue... No, issue 4 did come out. I, I didn't check that out. 
Um, Image 30th Anniversary Anthology, issue 9 of 12. I need to get caught up on that. I, I forget what the last one I, I, I read. So um, hopefully you're you're reading that because I, I, I need to be reading that. And then uh, there was uh, Manifest Destiny. I can't believe that's still out. It's such, it's, it's, supposedly it's good. I missed a boat. Some Someday when I'm, I'm old and retired or whatever, I'll maybe read all those issues. But it's issue 48. So I, I think that's awesome that it, it's, it's still going. And I, maybe it's coming towards the end. I don't know. Plush number two came out. <laughs> so Plush, this is one that I did read. Uh, this is issue two of six. This is by Doug Wagner and... Uh, uh, Daniel Hilliard and uh, Rico Renzi does the color. This is a weird, weird series. Uh, so it had deals with furries, people who dress up as like furry animals or whatever. This guy dresses up and then he goes to his party. It's a furry party or something like that. And he sees like some cannibal fur- furries and he's like, what's going on? There's other stuff going on. Um, he's this, this main guy. He's, He's engaged to like the sheriff's daughter, but his fiance is having an affair, like blatantly cheating on, on the dude with this other jerky officer. Um, and he, the main guy ends up getting arrested in, in uh, the, an alley. I think to may, maybe they, there was a dead, there's the person getting eaten. So he was there. He gets locked up. And then uh, the other furries start coming to like free him. Because you know they're like, are you one of us type of thing, and um, it gets uh, it gets pretty messy. And you know what is he going to do? Is he you know he because he's not a cannibal. <laughs> he said he's a vegan, <laughs> and and they yeah. So it's a really um just really weird. But just a, the imagery itself, like you you know see these big like costumes, and then just just the. Uh, super violence so you have all that um at boom studio there was book of slaughter number one um i didn't check this out i'm curious i didn't check this out because i'm so behind it's it's a the future to slaughter versus laid bare by something is um by by james tynan and Werthardell um adira in this first um Something is Killing the Children one-shot special. Oh, it's just a one-shot. From the sidelines to spotlight, Book of Slaughter follows the white mask Maxine Slaughter. So she was in uh, the last arc of Something is Killing the Children, I believe. And so that's part of the reason I don't want to read it. But will her loyalties remain where they are? Will they, she show her true colors? Um, and in addition to Precursor, the upcoming chapter of both series, the special issue features a sizable guidebook that delves in deep into the lore of the Order of St. George. I did start re, um, catching up on something is is, is uh, killing the children. So I was just like, okay, just where's the trade paperback? And I was just, it's just so much easier just to, to do that. Um, so hopefully I'll get caught up on that soon. But again, the reason is I, I fall behind and then trying to keep, this is my, my lame excuse, you know, just trying to keep up with everything. I just, I, I can't do it with, with all the comics and all the TV. It's just way too easy for me to get fall behind. And I, I wish that wasn't the case. At DC Comics, there was Riddler Year One Number Two. I didn't. I have. I'm sorry. I didn't love the first issue, and um, part of it is I. I just. I don't. I don't know. Seeing how the Riddler, like the Riddler's motives and what he did in the movie, I don't want to read. I don't want to root for him. Is what it comes down to, and we're we're seeing him. You know, he's like I think he's an an accountant, and um, 
you know, he he's seeing some discrepancies and stuff like that. And, you know, there's corruption. And so you're, you're seeing how he becomes who he is and, you know, trying to fight against Gotham and, and the corruption and going extreme, you know, the way he, he decides to handle things. But I, I did skim through the issue and it just, yeah, it just, it's, it's hard for me to want to root for the Riddler especially this, this version. So you can check that out. It, I, what I do find interesting is, you know, they, they, they're really selling this with Paul Dano as uh, being like the co-writer of this. You know, he played the Riddler in the movie, so now he's writing this. But my thing is, it, how much of this is approved by, you know, Matt Reeves or, you know, the studio or whoever? It's like you play an actor and did you get like a body? How are he making up all this stuff? You know, where is he getting this? And who's approving? Does he need it? Does it need to get approved by anyone? Or is it just like, hey, do what you want? I, I, that's, that's what I want to know. Um, Batman Detective Comics 1067. Um, I'm just, I, I'm having a hard time with this arc with, with the, these people laying claim to land in Gotham. And it's just, I don't know what it is. Something about, about it. It's just not drawing me in something else that's not drawing me in unfortunately is uh john stewart the emerald knight so he's got an interesting new costume which is kind of weird but the the main thing that i find kind of odd is that he has a sword and there's like some other green lanterns with him and then they're using swords but it's like you're flying around you have these power rings and you're you're making sword constructs i it, it makes more sense you know, to make like a gun, like, you know, we've seen John Stewart making like a machine gun and shooting, you know, if you want to like take some people out, but to, I guess it's no different than like Hal Jordan making a big boxing glove or, you know, whatever. And, but I, I just, I don't know. It, it just doesn't feel like the John Stewart that I want. And he's, you know, he has leveled up, but it's like, it's just hard for me to follow. Like what is going on and where are they doing? And so, yeah. Um, hopefully you, I mean, I, I'd really be, I'm, I'm really curious to hear what other people have to say about if, if they loved it. Cause maybe I just missed something and it just didn't click for me or just, I don't know what it was, but I, uh, you know, I do love the character and, and I'm glad. That, and I wasn't sure if this was a one shot or an ongoing. Cause it, it, it didn't, I don't think it said to be continued or next or so. I don't know, but I mean, John Stewart should have his, own. where's Kyle Rayner? Just <laughs> what I want to know. Uh, there is Blue Beetle Graduation Day 2. I find it fascinating. I, I think it's really cool that they release this in English and Spanish. I think that's awesome. It, what's what's weird, so I guess I just don't know a whole lot about Jaime Reyes and you know current continuity where he's at, but it almost feels like everyone knows that he's Blue Beetle. So it's like there's no secret identity. That seems just so dangerous for his family and his friends. But it just felt like everyone was talking about it. And then, you know, his he turned 18, he graduated, turned 18, and his parents like, well, you know, you need to move out. You need to, you know, get a job. So then he goes a little bit of ways away, you know, not, not that far, and to work at his aunt's, like, restaurant. And, and you know, he he's so he's not with close by to his friends. I think it might be like a couple hours or something like that. He's also been grounded by Superman saying that, you know, you can't be the Blue Beetle because, you know, the reach is supposed to be coming back or things are dangerous or whatever. And he goes to end up, he goes at uh, Cord Industry. Do Does everyone know that Ted Cord is the Blue Beetle? 
Because then he just goes and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm here to see, you know, the, the, the other Blue Beetle, the second, you know, he's not the first Blue Beetle, he's the second one. And, and then they get attacked by, it's just, I, I, it's just a little weird. I don't know. Then um, Action Comics 1050. Oh, my goodness. This this could be like an off my mind episode. Actually, because I, I did talk recently about why Superman should have a secret identity. And it's no spoiler, but he does get secret identity back here. Is it the same secret identity or is it a different one? What I'm, I won't go into specifics of that. Is Clark Kent back or is he like Bart Bent? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so the big question is, which I, I absolutely will not spoil, how the heck does is Superman going to get a secret identity back? What are you going to do? And as it was been mentioned, it's not magic. It's not like like oh hey Doctor Strange, can you put the spell on everyone? No, it's or hey Mephisto, can you uh, do this? No, it's not that. So what they do, I guess um, I'm I'm down with. I'm I'm okay with. As far as what has to happen to make that happen, it, I don't. I'm not too concerned with that because of. Um, one character in particular, not a major, um, not really like on my radar of, of interest or whatever, but I can appreciate what was how, then who and and why. But the other involvement is just kind of nuts. And, and the reasoning makes sense. And I, I almost feel like I'm totally dancing, tiptoeing around. I don't want to hint anyway, and it, I'm sure spoilers are out there by now. And you know, you could easily. I just don't want to do that. I mean, and yeah, I could say, okay, I'm going to do you know 30 seconds or a minute a spoiler, and you can fast forward. I just think that might be you know inconvenient because then you know what if you're you don't you're listening in the car and you know you you can't easily scrub forward or you know whatever. And so I don't know, maybe maybe. In, in a few weeks, I'll do an off of mind and or, and talk about, the, or maybe you know after the next issue, we we can talk about how this makes sense and what where this could possibly go. And I, yeah, I don't know. Let me know. I mean, if, if you want to hear about that, then I'll definitely touch up, upon that. So I I think there's some definitely some interesting things here. Um, and I would say pick up the issue. You know, if you you haven't been reading Superman that religiously lately, that it is worth checking out just to, to see what's going on here nice house on the lake issue 12 so i'm like whoa is this the last issue and things really start um there is a conclusion here good news not really spoiler but it does make it where it was like i think it says something like end of cycle one so there could be more um there are definitely some interesting um how you know what what happens and how how certain things are are left but um, yeah, where I'm, I'm curious to, to see where this is going to go, and and it's just been an interesting story where you know you have this guy Walter, he invites a group of friends to this nice house on the lake, and as they're there, it's like they don't really remember how they got there or whatever. But then they they soon discover the whole world is like in flames and apocalypse, everyone's dead except for those twelve, thirteen that are inside the house and they can't leave and and yeah just a bunch of crazy stuff happens and um it it's it so it now that it's over it's, it's probably 
I don't know if they've released the first six issues, but if they release like all 12, you should definitely check it out. I mean, James Tynan is, is just brilliant. Um, then there was Tales from Earth 6, A Celebration of Stan Lee. I didn't read this. I wasn't super crazy about the the just imagine Stan Lee, you know, created Batman or Wonder Woman. I, I didn't really love those um, stories so much. And and this this was like a a, a hundred page comic, so it's something that if I had time I would would check this out. But I I can't read a hundred pages a hundred page book along with everything else in, in in a week. So sorry, but maybe some point I, I will check that out. Um, Punchline: The Gotham Game Issue Three. <sighs> I want to like the character, but it's just sometimes it just it feels so hard where I just, I don't understand where she's coming from and how she can be so like so elevated when there's, she's just a regular person who is fascinated with, with the Joker. And, you know, I don't even know how smart she is, but you know, maybe she, you know, she was a college student and, you know, maybe she was studying some chemical stuff to make, you know, Joker gas. And, but it's just, I just feel like there's just way too much and she's just doing way, you know, whatever. And then teaming up with, with the Royal Flush gang, uh, I, I don't know what, what's going on there. DC versus Vampires issue 12. Uh, so this is apparently the last issue, right? Yeah, this is issue 12 of 12, even though we've had the all the, the spinoffs and other stuff like that. But man, there's some crazy ending like stuff that ha- it, it, it while things end, there are still some things that are left like unanswered. And, you know, we're like, you see some of the characters dealing with some of the stuff. It's like, okay, what, what are they going to do after this? You know, and when you're mourning certain people or, or this or that. So I feel like this is something that probably will continue just like how DC's continued, you know, that ended. And then there was a, another, like a sequel. And then, then there's a, the, the new gods stuff. So I am down with more, and hopefully Otto Schmidt will be involved. But I totally understand that if he's going to, you know, work on some other project. I just I, I love his his work, his art and colors. It's just amazing. Um, Harley Quinn issue. I don't think I read this one. Issue twenty five. Yeah, I don't think I did. Um, Tim Drake, Robin. Oh my gosh, issue four. Why is it? Uh, if you look at all the variant covers. This is such a minor nitpick thing, but why is it every single variant covers? There's so many variant covers. Tim Drake has his Tim Drake hair, you know, the, the kind of messy, spiky, you know, hair, whatever. I feel like that that's part of his design. Nightwings has always been a little more combed and styled and flowy, whatever, you know. And uh, Jason Todd's was almost kind of similar, but Tim Drake always kind of had like this kind of spiky, bushy hair. He's got it in all the covers, but then when you read it, it's it's like he's got like it's like his his hair is spray painted on. It's, it's like he has no hair. He just it's just like like a buzz cut or something. I I, I don't know, and it's just mm, it just does not feel like Tim Drake. I, I I mean he almost feels like a little kid just the way he's handling everything or just the way he's kind of talking. I feel like Damian Wayne in his series feels more mature, even though Damian's immature about like oh it's just about fighting you know like that's his, what drives him or, or whatever so it's just uh and then just all these people in the marina you know I, I just don't care and i i don't know it's it's just it's just w- weird 
<laughs> then there's a uh, oh there's DC Horror Sergeant Rock versus Army of the Dead. I I read the first issue. I haven't read more since, and I don't know. Um, I wanted to like that too, but I didn't love the first issue. Then uh, Batman Beyond the White Knight issue seven. This was a uh, this was good. Um, is there more than this? I think there's another issue with this. Yeah. So there's going to be more. Um, I'm just I'm I'm I love that Sean Murphy has his like his own DC universe or Batman universe, you know, corner or whatever. Um, I'm just really enjoying what they're doing there, and just the fact that like Jason Todd was the first Robin and Dick Grayson was a second. I mean, I don't, I don't I'm really curious. I don't know if he said why he went with that that you know that way. But I just like how they're mixing things up. And, you know, we have an older Bruce Wayne. You know, everyone knows that he was Batman. And it's just, they, they've shaken up enough. It's Batman, but it's not just another Batman Elseworld. You know, there, there's like enough differences to to keep it interesting. And then, of course, if you throw in Sean Murphy's arts, you know, it's just, it's amazing. Then there is a Sandman Universe Dead Boy Detectives issue one. I really, really enjoyed this. I, I'm, I've always been fascinated with these these characters, and um, I, there's just something about it, and I, I really, I'm looking forward to there being a, a, a show, like what they're going to do with it. I loved when they were on Doom Patrol, and you know, unfortunately, they're going to be different versions. But so this is written by Pornsack Pitchett. Um, Jeff Stokely does the art. Um, Mick Quell Moreto does the colors. Um, it, it, it's just, I don't even know how to describe it. So, you know, we, we have the, the two ghost boy, dead, the dead boy detectives, and um, they kind of get pulled into this other mystery, you know, and um, there's like a, like a deadly ghost, a ghost that's a threat to other ghosts. And, um, I just I don't want to give anything. It's just if if you know anything about Dead Boy Detectives, if, if you, you know, saw them in the Sandman, um, you should definitely uh, check them out. Uh, check out the series because you don't really need to know much about them. You know, even if you just saw them in Doom Patrol or whatever, I I would say that it, it's worth giving a try because it's it's um it's just it's it's interesting story and and the I just really like the like the the art and color. I just think it really like pops and everything like that. And um, there's quite the, the cliffhanger at the, at the end of the first issue. Um, at Marvel, we had All Out Avengers issue four. So this is still continuing where we don't know. Like there's the, the gimmick, and I don't really want to, I don't know if I should call it a gimmick, but like the, the hook of the series is that we're often just thrown into the middle. Like here's the, the, the climax of the battle and everything like that, where it's not bogged down with setting things up and just, you know, detail, detail, detail. And then here's a big fight that everyone wants to see. But they're also kind of using that where, you know, someone is kind of taking memories away from them. Cause you know, like Iron Man is, you know, his like his, his armors like recorded stuff and like, it's been wiped out. So he's like, how'd that happen? And, you know, sometimes they're like, wait, do you remember how we got here? You know, we're on this, this fighting out in this base on the moon or whatever. Do you remember? Like, and no one knows how they got there, whatever. So someone's definitely messing with, with them. There's also someone, this mysterious person narrating that adds to the mystery. And I, I find that intriguing as well. Part of me is like, Oh, I want to know who it is. And, and that's, that's a good 
whether that's a gimmick or hook or whatever. And I feel like once we find out, then it's going to be like, oh, okay. You know, it won't be as exciting. So there's, there's something fun about that. So, um, yeah, this is a, just, it's, they're out in like on this space, this alien planet, and they're having to work with some like Hydra, you know, AIMS, <laughs> AIM dudes. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm warming up to this, you know, more at first, you know, if, if you listen back to what I said about the first issue and the second issue, but I, I'm kind of intrigued as to where this is going to go. Just, you know, whatever. Amazing Spider-Man issue 16. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh, this, I just cannot understand. I don't understand what's going on here. Oh, Ben Riley is such a jerk here. It is so does not make any sense. This is not okay. He's lost his memories. He's angry. He thinks Peter stole his memories. It's just so ridiculous. And the other thing that just <laughs> he keeps calling him Peter. He keeps referring to Peter. I mentioned when the the Ms. Marvel issue where he's you know he he's at Osborne. You know Ms. Marvel's there on an internship at Osborne Industry, and he's like, oh, do you know Peter? And he's like practically giving away his like secret identity and stuff like that. And then here, when Spider Man is trying to talk to him. And then he's like, oh, it's chasm when I'm on the job. It's like, dude, you're saying Peter left and right to like anyone who'll listen. Oh, goodness. And and then they they so they, they bring in Venom. Venom comes to Earth because he wants to, you know, try to find his son. Oh, Ben's like somehow because of the, the radioactive goop stuff that he fell in, his powers change. Like his 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 uh spider sense has evolved. He can actually like kind of make weapons now from all this green spider sense energy flowing off him or whatever. And then there is a, they're trying they're man, trying to manipulate venom or whatever. He spoiler. So why do we have the I want to eat your brains venom here? Like what is going on? And I don't remember if it was in this issue or is, is Venom. Might have been in Venom. I think it was in Venom where, where, where they did it. Ben basically dis. Ben basically steals Venom's memories. So you have such a, a bee in your bonnet because you think Peter stole your memories, and he's even like, yeah, whatever. You know, maybe that's not the case, but I'm still gonna take it out on you. And then he does the same thing to Venom. So now Venom doesn't even know who his kid is. And just some other things. It's so the reason that they're using Venom because they want Venom to attack the X Men Treehouse because Madeline Pryor, who was given ruling uh, Limbo, you know, she bonded with New Mutants. She bonded with Ileana. She helped them out and everything. She's redeemed herself. Oh, and Elan is like, yeah, I'm so busy doing all this stuff. So like, why don't you, you know, you want to be the Goblin Queen for real and rule Limbo? Oh, great. Yeah, you deserve this. And then she's like being evil again. So she wants to steal like a Cerebro thing. And that's what we get in uh, Dark Web X-Men deals with, with that, where she's trying, she wants to steal Jean Grey's memories. And it's just, oh my God. I just, I don't, I don't know. So yeah, that's um that's amazing Spider Man and Dark Web X Men and uh, uh, Venom issue fourteen. So so much lovely Dark Web stuff, and I just don't don't understand it. You know, we have we have quality. Who is whose whose idea is this? I just I don't like it. Maybe other people. Maybe it's working for other people. So awesome. 
I just do not like it. And that is my opinion. It just, it makes me angry. And, and I normally, I'm not one to say something's bad. I, I try not to do that because you know, I know people work hard on it and I know there's lots of other things that go behind the scenes and it's not, you can't just say it was one writer's idea. You know, a lot of times editorial or whoever is like, we want to do this. We want to move forward in this direction because it's going to set this up and then this and this. <sighs> Anyways, I should just move on. And what else do we have? Um, Midnight Suns issue four. I'm not super crazy about this. Uh, mainly, it just, it it's, it's a weird group of you know characters like wolverines there and and just like a lot of the magic stuff it's um yeah i'm, I'm not super crazy about that although i do like uh strange academy so I, I i'll jump to that uh strange academy finals issue three uh so <laughs> because they're trying to save their friend was calvin uh they they kind of a, a couple blocks of like the french quarter new orleans were ever destroyed and and uh, the the magic councils coming down on on Brother Voodoo or Doctor Voodoo because of his students and stuff like. That. But it's like, hey, they were just doing the right thing, trying to save someone. And because you know, he even points out how like they won't do anything because there's these rules and stuff that they're not supposed to do this or that, whatever. Yet these bad things are happening. So the kids are doing what what was the right thing. They decide to have a carnival to you know fundraiser. And and I'm not sure. It's like, do are people aware that this is like a actual legit magic, you know, carnival thing, or is it? Do they just think it's quote unquote magic? Because then, uh, then there's like the the bad kids. Uh, I forget what's her name. That they start making some trouble and yeah. Moon Knight issue eighteen. So he's attacking the structure. That's uh, the vampire group that has the, the the pyramid scheme you know vampire thing and then they you know i turn you into a vampire and you turn two people into vampire and then they do and so forth and and, and moon knight just he takes on he's he goes to like this big like vampire convention thing that's led by him there's like these vampire delegates from all over the world and he's like like hey suck us this is this is new york city this is my territory you don't come here and i'm gonna take you all out and it's just like him and tigra and uh, the dude in charge, he's like, you're crazy. He's like, how are you going to stop everyone here? And he does some stuff. Murder World Spider-Man. Um, this was a... You look at the cover, it's like, wait, there's Spider-Gwen. Uh, you got Miles Morales in his <laughs> his other costume. You got wait, Spider-Punk and Spider-Man 29. I don't even think Spider-Punk, Spider-Man 2099 were in here. This is... Um, this is actually continuing from Murder World Avengers. I think that was one where you, you got this kid who he's like this uh, streamer, Twitch streamer, whatever. And he he's going to has all these followers. He's going to go to Murder World. And yeah, I think he ends up getting killed. Um, so it kind of continues from there, from this, you know, all these people that were invited. It's, you know, there can only be one winner. Um spoiler as far as the spider-man angle spider-man is not in this they're like spider-man lmds that are attacking people but what's interesting is because i think it started off i don't know if there's like 200 people and it's like whittling down um so now with however many are left they they find out when they they reach this area it's kind of like a, a, a rest stop and it's like a legit rest stop you know there, there's you know they're all skeptical and everything like that but then uh at the end of the, the first night they're like oh and by the way Three of you are actually like hired assassins <laughs> and it's lights out. 
So we'll have to see what's going to happen from there. So I I hate arcade, but I am I'm kind of curious, you know, what's going to happen there. So we'll see. Um, then there, there's New Mutants issue 33. I don't care for these these the members on here. I tried reading it. It just it didn't hold my interest. Um, I'm just I want classic New Mutant characters, and we didn't really. I mean, we had Rain. Will Spain was in there, but. Then there's Peter Parker, Miles Morales, uh, Spider-Man, Double Trouble, Issue 2. So this is this is such a, I hate to say it, it's such a delightful book. This is a 9-plus comic. Uh, it's Gurry Hero's art, which if you know me, I love Gurry Hero. I, I love um, Gwenpool because of Gurry Hero's art. The art here is it's a little... Um, more kid friendly than it it was it, and, you know that's not how it was it's not the same exact style as Gwenpool uh, unbelievable Gwenpool but um there's there's some some cool cool moments in here um and i i, I just think it's, it's just a really really fun book it's it's a lot humorous and um it's it's worth checking out i think Shang-Chi and uh, the Ten Rings, uh, issue six. So this is the end of this current arc. And I haven't been reading the last couple issues, but basically there has been this tournament as to who gets control. You know, the winner gets the Ten Rings. So um, what's going to happen? You look at the cover, like, wait, are the rings shattered? How can that be? But there is going to be another Shang-Chi. And if you know the title, this is a little spoilery. So I won't say anything about that. She-Hulk issue nine. Uh, She-Hulk was captured by this couple. They wanted to turn themselves into Hulks. It didn't quite go so well. The the dude is just kind of like a not necessarily mindless, but he's kind of like a dumb hulking beast. The lady got like a big gamma brain head, <laughs> and um, yeah. So then they they capture She-Hulk and uh, uh, Jack Jack of Hearts tries to come in you know he tracks her down and um things might not have to go go too well for him let's just say that there's a bunch of star wars stuff um i didn't read all um i'm i'm behind like on the, the high republic stuff like i don't even know where there's like two different high republic books that came out this week um i haven't been reading dr afra but han solo and chewbacca issue eight came out so you know they're after this urn that, that you know that, i forgot if they're trying to get it for java but they're they're going after this here team up with Greedo and Han Solo's dad came to town, and um, then they were kind of betrayed and then uh, they're separated and they thought Han Solo's dead and they took the Millennium Falcon and everything like that and so Han and Chewie are reunited and they're still trying to get the urn they find out where it's at but it's on Coruscant a moth has it so it's like uh, they're gonna have to try to break into his, his office and uh, yeah, there's more stuff that happens. There's Star Wars Yoda issue two. This has been um, this has been okay, uh, you know. Yoda goes to this planet and he he kind of gets um, attached to the, the this community, these these the people, the whatever, and uh, you know he wants to help them. Part of it seems like maybe he just wants to get away from his duties on the, the council, and he's using it as an excuse. So um, th- th- I but I, I like this. Um, there there's some some interesting things that happen here. Thunderbolts issue five. Is this the last issue? It, it almost felt like it was the last one. It doesn't say on the cover, but it also it didn't say like hint about like what's coming next. And I even I skimmed through the letter pages and it didn't say anything. Um, I, I I don't know how I 
I haven't been super crazy about this team. You know, I love Hawkeye. Uh, I, um, Monica Rambu being here is, is interesting. Um, America Chavez, you know, I'm, I'm growing to appreciate her more and more. But like some of these other characters, they're okay. But like the, the other Power Man dude, I don't know a whole lot about him. Um, and the, the fact that it's this is like a government sanctioned team is just kind of weird. You know, they answer to the mayor of New York, who is Luke Cage. So, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know. But I, I would like to see more. I, I feel like they if this is it, they weren't given enough time to really like flesh things out. So I, I'm hoping we get more of that. Timeless issue one. Um, I okay. When I was reading this, I was like super drowsy, and uh, you know, trying to trying to keep up with it. It has no, nothing against a comic. I don't love King. He, I th- I think he's okay. You know, I can appreciate him for the threat that you know, just a master of time or you know, the conqueror. You know, it just I feel like he has such an advantage because you know he can pull technology from wherever and, and all this stuff. But it turns out that there's like this one moment that he can't access and it just really drives him crazy. And part of it is because he is not a hero and he's trying to figure out, you know, what can he do to get there? And then he's attacked by his other team, but then these other groups. And, but it's like, wait, what, what are their intentions and you know, what's going on? And I feel like this is, I think this is leading in because Marvel released a teaser last week about some missing time, missing pieces. And so this is supposed to be like a bigger thing. Obviously, with with Kang and MCU, they're trying to elevate him in the comics as well to make a big. You know, it, it makes perfect sense. You know, you should have this synergy, whatever, between the comics and the movies. But I feel like with this issue here, uh, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see. And you know, maybe it's something I, I should check out a, a, again. I don't know. Exterminators issue four. I think I didn't read the second and, and the third issue, but I did read this one. So, you know, I had to figure out what was going on and, you know, you were able to kind of catch up on, on it and everything like that. I do um, I do like the characters here. You know, I, I love Dazzler and we have, you know, Laura Wolverine, you know, X-23, whatever. Um, Boom Boom is okay. We had Jubilee. Um, who, was, who else was there? I feel like there's there's someone else. And um, it's it's a little edgier. You know, there's, there's some things that they say that are... A little more inappropriate that you know you you can't say in the regular comics, um, but there's just almost like a little bit more of an attitude, which was interesting. It made it feel different enough. You know, is it fully necessary to cross that line to talk about you know like a would they talk about condom machines or, or no? They talk about these gloves and you're calling like space condoms or whatever. You know, you wouldn't get that like in a regular X Men. So yeah, absolutely doesn't make the story so much better but it's it was just a nice change of pace to to get something a little different so um i was i was i was interested in that um and then uh the last thing there's a extreme x-men issue two i didn't read the first one um i i probably should go back and try to read that um because you know i i enjoyed that that time in comics so um if you're reading it let me know how it was and uh, that's going to be it. I, I'm not going to let you know about anything else because that's going to be comics for this week. Okay, now his dark materials. We're going to do a couple more episodes. 
And I understand that as I record this last week, I think was the the series finale. So I am behind and that's just how it goes. I'm doing my best to, to just get over it, deal with it. I could do, I could try to do more, but with the way I feel compelled to recap this, I mean, it's going to, I'm probably going to spend like an hour on this episode, just talking about the two episodes. So I feel like, yeah, I could just go really super brief but my my thinking is if you're listening to this, you know, wanting to know what what happens, then it's it's I don't want to skip over anything. And it's also hard when it was like, OK, well, what if I kind of gloss over something and it's like really important? And I know whatever. So I'm just going to do two more episodes <laughs> this week. But as I watch this also, it's it's kind of hard because so my, my problem is I'm I'm not like overly religious and i'm not like overly anti-religious i'm not like really anything i'm just kind of like kind of go with the flow and part of the the problem that irks me with this is just you get that that so like righteous like in your face you know with, with this father mcphail dude president father president whatever and you know just talking about the authority and 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 we do get a glimpse of you well we don't get a glimpse of the authority we get a glimpse of of his regent which well, i'll get into that but just this idea of believing that a religious belief is the one and only way, and and I, I get that, you know, faith is 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 great. It's important, you know. It it really moves people along, gives them something, you know, whatever to uh, guidance and and all that. But when you get that to that that extreme like trying to force it on others or just trying to do what, you know, make excuses. Like I can do these horrible things because I'm doing it for a good reason or in, in, you know, for a good cause or in the name of, so that's where it just really irks me when you get all this violence because of a different, you know, conflict in a religious belief that that should never happen. If someone doesn't believe in what you truly feel is the right faith or way to go, you can't inflict violence upon someone else because they don't agree with you. If they don't agree with you and your way happens to be the correct way, then they are fooling themselves and then they'll pay to f- the price at the end, blah, 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 whatever. You know, it's just, it just, it really irks me when you just get these people that are so pushy about it. It's like, hey, I'm not buying into whatever you're trying to sell me. Just leave me be. And and I get that you you're, you're want to steer me on on the right path you're trying to protect my soul or whatever this but no if if, you know no means no and let me you know screw myself over if if that's the way it is and it's just so that that's the main thing that that really bothers me here the other thing that bothers me a little bit is lyra you know lyra is a great character she's very headstrong and you know all this stuff she has no fear She's also a little selfish. She's also a little naive. I mean, this is a girl who lived a very sheltered life living on a college with, you know, Rogers, her only friend, you know, he was uh, the son of, I think, like a, actually, I don't even know if, did he have parents or was this something happened to his parents? He just kind of lived with the kitchen staff and at the college. So, you know, she doesn't know what's what and you know there, there's even a mention about her like not knowing what an omelet was so you know and then she just anyways we should just get to it because it's going to be like so this is my problem this is what the other reason why i'm not just like zipping through powering through all these episodes because it's it's a little hard to to i don't know but i i do like the show so episode season three episode four lyra and her death 
Lyra, Will, and Pan are walking down this old road, you know, because she's determined she wants to go save her friend Roger, who died, who, who un- unjustly died. So she feels that she has to help him and all this stuff. And this is, again, this is like this selfishness where it's a little extreme, you know, because later she's like, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye or sorry or this or whatever. It happens all the time. I mean, it sucks. Life, life, that's the way life is so precious. People unfortunately die. And so she's determined to go to the land of the dead. And there's no, no guarantee she'll be able to get back, but she's, she's certain that she'll get back. And then she's bringing Will along, even though Will's going on about how his, his father's dying breath was for him to be the knife bearer and join Azrael, but she doesn't care about any of that. She's just so. I don't care. I, I want to go to Roger. And if you're not going to help me, I'm going to do it myself, which she knows. She I'm sure she, part of her, maybe, maybe it's conscious or unconscious, knows that there's no way Will is going to let her go off on her own, especially when she doesn't have the means. So, to, you know, at least with the knife, the theory is you'll be able to cut your way back. So they're, they're, they decided to head over. There's a bunch of other like dead people and stuff like that. And, she, you know, just like, is this the land of the dead? But no one will answer. Pan is kind of lingering behind, and this is the other thing that really bothers me. And and she's like, "Stop that!" Because he's like hanging back, and Pan's like very concerned. He wants to know like, "Where's everyone's demons?" And she's like, "We've been to plenty of worlds without demons." So you know, she's like, "Just get in my pocket, and you know, we'll be fine." But he's like, "There are people here that should have demons, but they don't." And she just kind of dismisses his concern and whatever. She's like, "It, it it's fine," or because like Will's like, "Is Pan okay?" And she's like, "He's fine." It's like, "No, he's not." But Will's like, he, he doesn't seem to be fine because, you know, he, even he's aware of it. So Marissa flies to a building. She's in a, like Inception craft, whatever, Intention craft. Where Rogue followed along with, without her, her and her, her monkey, her daemon knowing. She barges into this room. You know, it's Geneva, whatever. All the guards point their rifles at her. Father Gomez walks up and she's like, oh, hello. Delightful to see you again. Please tell the Cardinal Mrs. Coulter's back. And the land of the dead, there's a lot of people just walking slowly. They end up inside this like big warehouse, some big like building or something like that. And they're just like trudging along. There's this dude standing on this platform, kind of like in the middle of this big like lobby or area, whatever. He's listed as a bureaucrat in a closed caption. This alarm goes off and then he's like, no, no, stop. Everyone stop. And he points to Lyra and Will. He's like, they're not dead. And she's like, it was an accident. We were being chased by some men. And he's like, well, if you're not dead, you're not welcome. Then she's like, she says that, well, she, she's like, I need to find my friend before it's too late. He's like, well, first you're being chased and now you're looking for friendship. You won't find that here, liar. <laughs> so then he rips off this like piece of paper from a pad and he like hands it, like holds it out. He's like, go to holding area 32. And, you know, Will takes it. They're like, how long do we wait there? Until you die, of course. So Lyra just like glares at him and they look at the paper. It has like just like a circle with a line through it. So I don't I have no idea what that's supposed to mean. We see Marissa talking nicely to Gomez. She's like, oh, I hope you didn't sustain any lasting damage. And she, you know, she's like, I was just trying to protect my daughter. And he's just like silent. And she comments that he was so full of words, you know, fed to him by the cardinal. And he corrects her. Father president, he is not the cardinal. And then she's like, oh, yeah, you know, those were his words. And then you know, the Cardinal's father's, whatever his words. And she's like, oh yes. And she's like, I've known, you know, men obsessed like him. And he's like, 
you don't know anything about faith. And she says, you know, you're a very young man. And he counters asking if she thinks that they didn't know that she was coming, you know, coming back to them where she belongs. They arrive at Father President's office and Marissa's like, it's me, Hugh, or do you only respond to Father President now? And she's like, let us in. So then when they come inside, he's like, Marissa. And then she looks at Gomez. She's like, is the boy staying? And McPhail like dismisses Gomez much to, to his chagrin or whatever. And Roke, then he like flies. He's kind of following Gomez through, through the building. So McPhail tells Marissa that she's under arrest. And she's like, I'm here here now you know to help and he said that she prevented them from finding eve and she says that if he'll let her finish she's like i came voluntarily as soon as i could escape Azrael's fortress she's like look at my clothes hugh because she's wearing that kind of like jumpsuit thing and, and she says i even brought you a piece of his technology that i'm sure your scholars will be delighted to drool over and he's like all that matters is a child and she's like my child he says that Alethiometer was quite clear on who she is and what she might bring to them. And she catches him off guard by asking, are you st- still hurting yourself? And then, you know, for probably the pen and sting or whatever, I don't know. So he, he kind of like walks away from him back to his desk. Then she says that she made him cardinal to earn his trust. In return, he has betrayed you. I betrayed you. She is sin. And Marissa's like, no, she is the potential of it. And I wasn't unaware of this. And I had my own solution. You had no solution. She says she was going to keep her safe until a danger passed. Your lies are contemptible. And this is, I can't stand this Father Gomez, dude. She yells that he came along and destroyed everything. And he calmly asked, what danger did she think she was keeping her safe from? Marissa says, Eden fell not when Eve came into being, but when she was tempted. Somewhere out there is a, a tempter, a serpent. So she just had to keep them from meeting. You know, she had her, the boy, and, you know, all of it. He sent his troops and scared them. So, they, you know, they, they t- took off. And she says that she assumes Fra Pavel told him about the knife, a weapon so powerful it can kill the authority himself. And she's like, I broke that knife. It was me who tamed it. So do not underestimate what I can still do for you. And, you know, he should concentrate on the battles that need to be fought and leave Lyra and her temptation to her. He asks if Azrael is still actively searching for the girl. And Marissa's like, you know, she never held much of his interest. And she says that the knife attracted him, but now it's broken and he sees only his war. It's like the way he's fighting is terrifying. She says that she thinks she saw him murder an angel. An angel um, coming to Azra's gets like uh, McPhail's attention because he's like an angel. Because I don't think he's, I, I kind of wondered, you know, with, with the region and with everything that, that McPhail is doing, he's never come into contact with any of them. So I guess it's it's pretty clear now. He's never actually seen an angel. He's just, you know, going on, you know, whatever. So then Marissa says that Azrael would hurt anything that came into his path. There's madness in him, which is why she came to give what she could. And he asked, so is she with us? Do you, you know, against him, against dust? Because like, you know, sometimes her devotion is is hard to read. She says that he, that Shiva McPhail, she's like, you have my mind, my body and soul. She thinks the authority himself, and she kind of like puts her hands out, 
that they they have him leading and not this one other cardinal dude or whatever. She's like, he could never resist temptation, but your abstinence is amazing. And you know, he kind of trembles trembles a little bit, you know, because they're like really up close. And then he like holds out his fist with his ring, and she just kind of looks at it. Eventually, she like kisses it, and then she grabs his wrist and whispers, "Remember what we did together. Our lives are entwined." So more on this later, if it's not clear. I don't, I'm trying to remember what's been said in the previous seasons, but it, she does say something later again. In the holding room, there's like a few other people sitting. It's, it's like a waiting room, something like that. This dude at the counter asks for papers. Then he's he's like, go to holding area 507. And Will's like, another holding area? He's like, no, not another holding area. Holding area 507, which <laughs> that makes no, no, no sense. I don't know what he meant by that. Marissa's like pacing this room and she sits. Um, she acts like all natural. She hears like door open. It's Father Gomez. He tells her that he has a peace offering. These two dudes bring in this trunk. And then uh, she's like, oh, does it unfold into a cage? <laughs> kind of, She's just like so snarky. He says something that is like it's how they, they found her or it or something. It's kind of a, a gift or something like that. She looks closely and then she's like, mother. Which I don't know what she, I still don't know what she meant by that. And he says that... Um, she was only too happy to help. So did, was are you talking about her mother? Is her mother still alive or whatever? And then she's like, of course she was. Or is it like some mother superior? Some I don't even I I could totally be forgetting something from a previous season. I I, I don't know. So he leaves. She like kind of like snaps open the 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 snaps on it, and then she's like goes to open it, but then she like slams it shut before she even opens it and then she opens it again and there's like this purple dress inside she takes it out and there's like some other outfits and then she's like she always had such grace and she lays it out i don't know who she's talking about i, I it's got to be something that i'm just totally forgetting and then at this point roke decides to pop out and he calls her name and she's like you see that's the problem with insects they get everywhere and he's like i'm the least of your problems and she's like asks if if he if azrael sent him and he's like yes so she asks, are you here to spy or to help? And he asks, well, what's her plan? And she's like, why? So you can relay my every move to Azrael? And he says that he can't, that his lodestone resonator was damaged during you know, her escape. And she's like, interesting. It's actually you who need me. Rogue says that, you know, she, she's like, you intend to kill them before they kill Lyra? And you know, she doesn't really say anything. And he's like, and if they kill you first? And she kind of scoffs and he's like, you risk yourself very easily. She asks, she's like, what do you know of this place? And what have you seen? So he has no choice. And he finally says that he's been following Father Gomez and he's particularly, particularly interested in this one room. Mary is continuing her walk. She takes a rest by this big tree and, and she's kind of getting a little like, like tired. She's, you know, she's like, what am I doing? You know, cause she's just walking around and. And I, I think she might be like running out. She like drinks the last of her tea or something like that. And you know, how much food does she have left? I, I, I'm still not even sure what she's, she's doing. Will and Lyra are walking. He says, people are just staring at them. And it, you know, he's like, it feels like we're in a horror film and she doesn't understand. She's like, why would you watch something, you know, that makes you feel horrible? And he's like, Oh, that's a good point. Then this dude's kind of like leaning against the wall. He's, and he's like, who are you? And Will's like, we're travelers headed for the land of the dead. And a dude says that he's like, Oh, we're on the same path. So then, you know, he's standing by this doorway and then so like Lyra goes to move in and he like puts his, his leg up against the doorway or something like that. And then it's like, whatever, dude. So he, he lets him go in there and there's this waiting room with these other people. 
And he's like, well, go ahead, introduce yourselves. So Lyra's, you know, says who she is. They're looking for her friend and not sure if he's um, part of the land of the dead or how to get there. Will asks if they're not dead either. And this dude's, the, the dude says that their death hovers close by and guides them. And then they'll welcome it, but it's not ready to take them yet. And Will's like, what's a death? And this old lady's like, they don't know anything. And the dude, like, he says that everyone has a death and goes everywhere, everywhere with them all their life. And Lyra's like, isn't that scary? And the lady's like, no, it's natural. The dude says, from the moment you're born, your death comes with you, and it's your death that takes you out. And he's like, there's love in that. And Pan, I feel so bad for Pan, because he, he's got these cute little, like, furrowed eyes. He's like, just, like, so concerned. The lady's like, and when you're ready, they say it's beautiful. You go with them to the boat and to the boatman. Lyra says to Will, she's like, that's what I saw in my dream. She's like, that's where we need to go. And the lady's like, well, you're not going, you're not going to get there without your death. And Lyra says that if they tell them where it is, then they'll stop bothering them. The dude's like, no one knows where it is or what's on the other side because no one's ever come back. And the lady says that the only way that they'll cross the water and go to the land of the dead is with their own deaths. So Marissa has a purple dress on. This dude is like, oh, you, you know, he comes in with, he's like, you need, here's your breakfast. And she's like, I told, I'm not going to eat. I have to go and pray. She's like, where's the chapel in this place? And um, she kind of like nods to Roke and as they like head out, they, they go out in the hall and the dude's like, uh, you were expected to stay in your room. And she's like, no, I have to repent for my sins. She's like, where's the chapel? And dude's like, uh, you could just pray in your room just as easily. And the dude says that if she wishes to go to chapel she must go at at the allotted time and she's like oh damn really she's like well i'm here he won't you know you won't mind if i take a look around she opens this one door there's this big room there's like four dudes kind of like bowing or whatever and she's like no they're not very interesting the, the one dude says that he's like if you won't stop and she's like you'll do what exactly he's like well i'll i'll fetch support and she's like okay oh, oh good she's like we all need support go on and then her monkey, you know, screeches out a door. So she goes in and then there's like this lab and she sees Dr. Cooper. And, you know, she because she worked with her whatever for her before. So she goes to talk to her. She's like, oh, Dr. Cooper's how wonderful to see you alive. She's like, I presume that you weren't. And she asks what she's working on. And Cooper's like, oh, it, it's all restricted. And Marissa says that, you know, she's always been so kind to her. No reason to stop now. And, and she's like, oh, it looks like some sort of resonating chamber. And then she recognizes, like, oh, and, and that's a, the demon guillotine. Then she's like, are you building a bomb? Because it, it it seems to be directional. She's like, what determines the direction? So Cooper says that uh, the authority does. And Marissa like, says, like, that's not true now, is it? Then Gomez walks in with a couple dudes. And, you know, so they, they go to take her out. And she's like, Gomez. <laughs> like, she just, like, naturally says hi to him as, as she's, like, taken past him. So Pan, he asks Lyra, she's like, what are you doing and she's thinking that she has to invite her death. So she's trying to put her mind to it. Like when she uses the lithiometer, Will's like, uh, shouldn't we like talk about this? And she's like, this is why we came here. Pan doesn't think it's a good idea either. And she's like, neither you understand. She's like, I never got a chance to say goodbye to Roger. And again, this is part where I'm like getting like annoyed and like rolling my eyes. It's like, not everyone gets to say, gets a chance to say goodbye when they lose someone. It, it, it sucks. And she's like, I never got the chance to say sorry. She's like, I just want to make things as good as I can. And even if I have to die doing so, Pan's like, Lyra, she's here. So she turns around and there's this lady there. And she's just like a normal, like, you know, just like this blonde lady, hair, hair like pulled back. And she's like, you're my, my death? And she's like, yes, 
You wanted me? I'm here. Lyra tells Will, she's like, I need to talk to her alone. And he's like, I can't see who you're talking to. She tells Will that she'll be back. And then Pan, you know, of course, has to go along. McPhail's praying to the authority, whatever, thanks him for answering his prayer, the, the means, you know, giving him the means to win this war. Only with his guidance will he find the strength to do what must be done. As Marissa sleeps, Gomez enters with a, a, a knife and he, he like holds up to her neck, but he just cuts her necklace off. And then she opens her eye and she's like, follow him to Roke. In the lab, Dr. Cooper is looking at, at some like hair. So McPhail asks if they're certain that it is a child. And Gomez says, Prof, Fra Pavel is certain. He's like, will it be enough? And Dr. Cooper says it will be ample. It'll be ready in a matter of days. And then he kind of like dismisses Gomez, whatever, tells him he can leave. Then Roke uses the opportunity to enter. And McPhail says to Cooper, you are certain that once set in motion, the bomb will find the girl. Cooper says that each person has like a unique code within whatever. So the hair, wherever it might be, will want to be made whole. So no matter where the girl may be, and Cooper is like, whatever, you know, whichever world she's in, the bomb should find Lyra. So basically, it's kind of like some sort of genetic bomb powered by dust that it's going to read her, you know, the DNA in her hair. You know, they don't talk about DNA or anything like that, but it'll read the DNA in her hair and somehow across all the worlds find her and blow her up, something like that. So Lyra is in this empty waiting room. Her death keeps kind of like appearing and disappearing. And, you know, death says that she's always here. You know, she followed her entire life. She knows her better than anyone. And Pan's like, that's not true. Lyra says that they need to make a deal. And death's like, I'm not sure that, you know, I can make one. Lyra says that she knows she's not deceased. She needs to go to the land of the dead, see someone and get back. She's like, will you help me? Death says that, you know, she'll go there eventually, you know, a safe and calm journey. So there's no need, you know, no reason to rush there. Lyra says that she needs to, and so does Will. Like, no, he doesn't. They and But she's like, they both had someone taken from them too soon and have to make amends. So she's, she's trying to use excuse about Will losing his father and not getting a chance to talk to him. But he's never once, I don't recall him ever saying, yeah, I want to go and try to talk to my dad. So Death says everyone wishes to say something to someone who is gone. So why shouldn't an exception be made for her? Lyra says, because if you've been with me my whole life, then you knew this question was coming. And if you've truly been with me, then you know the answer to it. So Lyra asks if she saw Roger die. And she says, her death says that she did. Lyra says that she doesn't want to be exceptional. You know, maybe she did once. She just wants to be good. She just wants to help someone. Roger needs her. And, you know, she wasn't there the last time he needed her. So she's like, you know, look at me, you know, look at my heart, you know, help me. And Death says that she will be her guide. She'll show her the way in. But once she's there, the other side is not her place. So as for getting out again, she'll have to manage that by herself. And then um, Mary's sleeping by that big tree. And there's this growling. And the closed caption says it's a tall, A-T-A-L is growling. So it's like, I'm like, wait, who? And then she wakes up. She sees some like bee standing there. I'm like, is that an anteater? Because it's it's like it's big, it's brown, and it kind of has this nose. It's not quite. It's almost like an elephant trunk, but not as long. And and she's brown and not gray. And then I think um, there's some like water and berries like 
on a rock there's like this like kind of like pea potters like this big like sh- whatever almost like a coconut with with some so mary takes them and a tall turns and leaves and mary's like wait she gathers her stuff to follow but she leaves behind this little handkerchief or something like that i'm not quite sure what it was and i don't know the significance you know they they kind of make a point to show us that she left that behind okay i think i got it now because um someone is going to be looking for her and they're going to find it and then know that that's the path which is going to be so incredibly stupid but okay, I'll, I'll mention this later if I remember. Lyra returns to Will and he asks if she's still close by her death. And she's like, yeah. He asks if she can see his death. And Lyra's, you know, asks her death and her death's like, no, and neither will he. He's like, you can't see your death until you're ready to. So Lyra says that her death is going to take them to the water if he's ready. And he, you know, he's like, am I ready? And she's like, well, I hope so because I, I need you to be. Which I, it's just so crazy that you know you're asking someone to to do this. Then uh, Doctor Cooper pours herself a drink. She, she looks at her fox demon with like a drink in one hand and the lyra hair in the other, and she's like, "What else is there left to do?" Then she gets like stung and she drops her glass in hair. In Marissa's room, uh, Roke says that you know she came here to protect her and instead gave them the fuse to the bomb, and she's like, "With arrogance." She's like, I underestimated them. Rogue says that they have to leave and go to Azrael. And she's like, what would he do? Rogue's like, he may, he, he will intervene. And she's like, will he? And she like scoffs. Her monkey screeches. Marissa takes the hair and she like looks at it and she burns it on a candle. And she's like, you were right. I did come here to kill them before they kill her. And I will not let them have another chance. Roke says that they already stunted their bomb, so they need to get back. And she's like, no, they will find another way. She's like, this has to stop now. So Roke and Marissa make their move. She's spotted, you know, they're in the hallway. She like runs. They're headed to the intention craft. And then she's like surrounded. McPhail asks, he's like, didn't you think we were having you watched? And she says that, she's like, you will still kill her no matter what I do. And he says that on that, he has no choice. So she says that then she has a statement to make because, you know, there's like other people, you know, Gomez is there and other guards. She's like, I wish you stand trial for the murder of Cardinal Sturrock, a murder I conspired on with your father president, a man who sins with every fiber of his being. And he hisses, liar. And she's like, you know, I am telling the truth and I will make the same claim in front of the consistorial consistorial court or something like that i don't even know what that word is and he's like you have no rights here he goes on about her being a wanton woman always wanting her husband was murdered by the heretic Azrael, and her illegitimate child was abandoned and she's like she's like she says that she's changed but you have not hugh and he's like hugh who is this hugh i am your father president or your grace do you understand me and she's like i'm sorry it's like, this is everyone else. It's like, this is where your loyalties lie, not with that above, not with truth, but with power. And she's, she's like, you disappoint me, Father Gomez. And McPhail says, get her out of here. And she's like, no, you cannot do this. You call yourself a holy man. How do you think your authority looks on you now? A man of hate surrounded by haters who worship you. And he's like, stop her noise. And they like muffle her. And then McPhail, <laughs> this is why I cannot stand him. So then, a little, little baby, he's like, 
This is what you really are, an incoherent, emotional woman. Why should anyone trust you? You can barely string a sentence together. Oh Yeah, she can't string a sentence together because someone has their hand over her mouth and muffling her. So it's like, yeah, okay. He's, he says that he doesn't know how she took the hair from them, but they still have enough for their purposes. And he has still has a pocket, the, the locket in his pocket or whatever. He like takes it out. And he's like, when we sever your demon, you will be the bullet to kill Lyra Blackwa and to save us all from sin. And he says, take her to the cellars and bring her demon to him. But it's like, how? what is his range? Because I, th- I thought you couldn't be that far apart from your demon. And yes, she, for some some reason, has this ability to have him like really stretched apart. So I guess maybe the cellars aren't that far from the lab. And then we see like the golden monkey, her, her demons in a cage. Will and Lyra have reached the boatman. And he's like, good evening. He's like, I'm glad you're here. Whatever. He, he tells him, leave all your belongings and come aboard. So it's like, leave all your belongings. Does that, does that include Will's knife? Because he ends up, he, he does take it. But it's like, you're supposed to leave everything behind. So I'm surprised that he didn't have to do, leave that behind. Because she leaves her backpack, which I assume has the lithiometer. Lyra asks her death, like, will he understand? And death just like backs away. So Lyra tells a boatman that they need passage across, and he's like, sorry, but one of your party is not suitable for travel at this time. And then she looks at Will, and she's like, only one? And the boatman points at Pan. She's like, no, that's... And then he's like, we have to follow the rules. A pain, but necessary. No passage, not for him. Lyra's like, but he is me. The boatman says that if she comes, he must stay. And she's like, I don't think you understand. If we separate, we die. Isn't that what you want? Will says that that's not right. He doesn't leave you know part of himself behind, so why should she? The boatman says that he does. It's her misfortune or luck to be able to see and talk to that part that she most that she must leave. He, he's like, you will not know until you are on the water, and by that time, fortunately or unfortunately, it will be too late for you to do anything about it. But you must all leave that part of yourselves here. The rules are very clear. Lyra says that she's like, he can fit on a boat. You know, we go everywhere together. And she puts him like on the seat. The boatman says that if he does, the boat stays here. Pan's like, we can't separate. We can't. Then Pan kind of runs off. Lyra follows. We'll ask the boatman, you know, when will she see him again? And he's like, she won't. We'll ask if they leave and then come back this way. And boatman's like, I've taken millions across. None have come back. So Pan's like, we've come so far. It's like, you know, you might not, we might not survive. Will says that they will come back. He's like, you don't know Lyra and you don't know me, but we'll find a way. He says that, you know, since they're doing that, you know, be kind, boatman. He's like, let her take her demon. And he's like, it's not a rule you can break. It's a law like this one. He puts his hand in some water, like scoops some water up and like drops it. He says that he can't make the water go upwards no more than he can take her demon to the land of the dead. Will's like, he says that he might have to make an exception just this once. Um, you know, and he holds a knife at him. The boatman scoffs. He's like, how many ages do you think I've been faring people? Do you think that if anything could hurt me, it wouldn't have happened already? Do you think the people I carry come gladly? He's like, no, they struggle. They cry. They bribe. They threaten. They fight. Nothing works. Pan tells Lyra that they can still turn around. She's like, well, what about Roger and Sal? You know, they never got a chance to grow up. Pan says... <laughs> But it's not Roger and Sal, is it? It's, you know, Roger's dead and Sal's gone. 
and you know then it won't be Lyra and Pan. She's like, you're leaving me here alone. What will I do? And she whispers, but our dreams. Pan's like, I didn't have those dreams. They were your dreams. I didn't even want to come here. This is your choice. Lyra's like, but we're together. Pan's like, not if you do this. And she's like, please, I can't betray Roger. It's my fault he's dead. Now he needs me. Pan's like, I need you too. Why can't you see that? And she's like, I will find you. I'll return. Pan's like, you've made up your mind. You've chosen Roger over me. And she's like, no, please don't do this. I love you. And Pan's like, just go. So he like almost like won't even like make eye contact with her. So she gets on, on the raft. Then Pan walks to the edge of the, the dock. Like, and this like broke my heart. And Pan, little, little cute Pan just like kind of howls. And then um, the boat starts going. And then Lyra, you know, starts screaming while she's being separated. And she's like, my heart. And Will goes to her. And Pan, poor Pan, he's kind of like reaching over the edge, like almost jumping into water, like just trying to get close to her, just like whimpers. And that's how episode four ends. Lyra, you're so selfish. So that's uh, episode four. Episode five, No Way Out. So Mary's following Atal, that, that beast. And then it's like some angel starts talking to her, tells her that she must play the serpent, that she has been preparing for this, you know, save the girl and the boy. So she's supposed to tempt Lyra somehow. Then she asks herself, she's like, what am I doing? She's like, I'm following a talking elephant, which is, I, I didn't think it was an elephant. Eventually they reach this group of like really tall trees and there's like birds flying around there, chirping, something called the Zalif, like whales. I don't even know what that is, but that's what closed captioning said. And she's like walking between the trees. There's all these little critters running around. And then, you know, she's like sketching some of them, you know, one sitting next to her. And then uh, she shows it and it says, this is Atal. She shows it and the creature's like, says Atal. And she's like, my name is Mary. So Mary says that there must be a reason she's here. And then she starts to learn their language, which I guess is called Mulfa. Then she says that she heard Atal and the others talk about Sraf, S-R-A-F. And she's like, what is that? And then this is something like asleep or something like this. So she's trying to like decipher their words because, you know, it's, it's not like only some words are being translated as she's learning the language, I guess. She says that, you know, she's been seeing more dead sea pods lately. They, they did this thing earlier before they got to the tree. Atal grabs like these pods. And again, they look like coconuts almost kind of like um, holds them with their like almost like elephant feet and just kind of like rolls on, on these things. It's like like rollerblades or something. I don't know. Roller skates. So she's asking about these pods um, because, you know, there's been more dead ones. She's like, don't you need the oil that they produce or something like that? And Atal says the oil gives them seraph. And then she asks, you know, how can she learn to help them? Atal says that first she must learn to see Sraf. That's the reason why she's been brought here. So, like, what the heck is Sraf? We find out later. The raft is still going. Lyra's kind of still struggling. Will asks what it feels like being this far from Pan. And she says, like an iron hand is gripped around my heart and he's yanking it out between my ribs. And he asks if it's like a mental thing too, like a big private thing being dragged out into the open. And she's like, yeah. Will says that, you know, Lyra always said that he had a demon, but he didn't believe her. Now it feels like he's known her, you know, his demon his whole life. And then he's like, maybe she's with Pan now. So Lyra says that, you know, they're going to get their demons back. You know, they've got the knife and they've got each other. He says that for some reason he trusts her. So then later, you know, the, the boat's going for a while. We don't know how long, but we'll ask the boatman how much longer. And he's like, as long as it takes. Time does as it pleases down here. 
So he tells Lyra not to be scared. And she says that she's not. And the boatman chuckles. He's like, I've had warriors, assassins, and war generals on the boat all telling me the same thing. Nuns, come back. Then the boat hits some land. He's like, best of luck to you. So he, he can't go past this way. He gives Lyra a lantern. And then she's like, wait. You know, she's like, my, my demon is still Jetty. Will you give him a message? And the boatman's like, he won't still be there now. Which is, what does that mean? Like, where is he? So they, they, they walk a few steps. And she turns to ask, you know, how did he know where? But he's he's gone. There's nowhere. You can't even see like the water anymore. It's just like all this fog and everything like that. Will's like, no turning back, I guess. Rogue's flying around over Dr. Cooper and some guards. She goes back to the lab. Marissa's in her cell. She like refuses to eat. And she's like, and if you try to force me, I'll bite your finger. And, and Rogue's like, and I bet you will or, or something like that. So he, he enters, you know, and she's like, I thought you'd scuttle back to Azrael with news of my humiliation. Rogue says that as much as Azrael would like this humiliation, he doesn't believe that he'd want her dead. Rogue, and Rogue's like, and, and neither do I. He says Dr. Cooper is getting the bomb ready. Um, he has enough poison to fell the guards outside the cell, but no more than that. Marissa asks, how does Cooper seem? And Roke says that she seems frightened. You know, seems she's acting against her will. Marissa says that they'll stay here. And he says the bomb is ready, that they have Lyra's hair. They plan on severing her from her demon. And she's like, good. And I'm like, what? What, is, what does all that mean? Will and Lyra start walking. They're, they go by like some wall cavern or something like that. And Will notes it's not made of rocks, but of people's things. Um, Will sees that the dead are walking nearby. And then they're actually like all around them. There's like adults and kids. This girl asks Lyra if she's alive. And Lyra's like, yeah, we're visitors. This lady says that they shouldn't have come. He's like, go back while you still can. Will says, you know, why are they hiding? And the lady says, they don't like it when they talk to each other. And Lyra's like, who don't? There's like this growling in a distance. Lyra tells them that she needs her their help. She's looking for someone named Roger Parslow. This lady uh, warns her that he might not want to see her. This little girl asks if she comes from a world with, with demons. And she's like, yeah, my demon's name is Pan. The other kids start talking about their demons. And then the growling like gets, gets louder. They start to scatter. Lyra asks this older girl if she'll help them. And, and then she's like, well, maybe. And a lady warns him, she's like, you might attract them. McPhail's looking at the golden monkey in the cage. And, uh, you know, the monkey has his hands, like, holding on the cage. McPhail starts to reach, like, towards Bart. And the monkey, like, backs away a little bit. And, like, he reaches in, like, he wants to touch it. And Father Gomez comes in. He's like, to touch another's demon is forbidden, is it not? So he's, like, busted. He's like, you can't touch someone's demon. And after a slight pause, McPhail, like, turns around. How dare you enter unannounced? And, and he's like, do I have to remind you to whom it is you answer? Gomez says that he answers to the authority. McPhail slowly walks towards Gomez and then smacks him. He tells him, get out of my sight and never question me again. And it's just like, oh, you are such a scumbag. So you're doing this forbidden, like intimate thing. You cannot touch someone's demon. And then you get busted. You get called on it. And then you get mad and have a little hissy fit. Uh, Lyra and Will keep walking. The the ghost girl, her name is Olivia. Uh, you know, she's like guiding them. They see some like dead people who have been there for some time. Olivia says that when she first came here, she was looking for someone like her sister. She never found her. And then this harpy starts hissing, you left your sister alone. Olivia is like, I have to go back. And then selfish Lyra is like, no, we need you. 
But, you know, she's like, leaves. So they walk. Then Lyra hears Roger, like, call to her. It's, like, echoing, and it's hard to tell where it's coming from. And then she seems to have lost Will because, you know, she kind of, like, darts off. And then she hears Pan call to her from a tree. I was like, um, I don't think so. Then she tells Pan, she's like, you shouldn't be here. And he's like, it's what you wanted. Will, meanwhile, he, like, realized, like, where the heck is Lyra? He's calling out to her, but, you know, she can't hear him. Pan says, Pan says that she left him to die. And she's like, you knew why I had to do it. And Pan says that he's always known deep down how selfish she is. And and Pan's like, do you really believe you're here for Roger? You already killed him. You came here for you to soothe your guilt, to play the hero. And she's like, this isn't real. She's like, you're not real. And she starts shrieking Will's name. And then he finally hears her. He, He runs in her direction. He finds her. And he's like, you know, whatever it says, it wasn't true. She's like, you're a good person. And she's like, this place is horrible. It can't be where we go forever. She's like, there has to, you know, be another place. Then she thinks she sees Roger, like, up ahead. And she, like, runs <laughs> up to him and got her. But he keeps, like, going away from her. And then somehow he's, like, behind her. And, of course, he's grown since, you know, he died in the first season. It's like, how, how could he grow if you know he he died as a kid, that makes zero sense. But what can you do? You know, unless you want to either CG him or recast. She's like, it's me, and he's like, I know. Then he's like, you came. She's like, you needed me. He says that he's changed so much, and she's changed too. She says that she's missed him. She's so sorry about everything. She shouldn't have taken him with her to see Azrael. Should have left him with those one kids or whatever. And he's like, it's not your fault. He's like, I wanted to go with you. She hugs him. He does wish things were different. Then Will comes up to him. He introduces himself. Then Roger starts walking away. And she tells him that he can't stay here. And she says that, you know, she's going to break him out of there. And he's like, it's not possible. She's like, it has to be possible. And he says that when she didn't come, he lost all hope forever. She says that it can be them together again. He's like, stop it. You think I want to go back to the real world again like this? He keeps like walking and Lyra like walks off. Will's like, we can still help him. She's like, Roger's right. They don't, you know, because they don't know what will happen to him if, if they leave. It's like, the thing is, his demon's gone. His demon's dead. So for all all you know, if you try going, if they can get back, what if he's just like a mindless zombie? Or what if he just goes back there and just withers? It's like, she's like, it's a terrible idea. And it is. I don't think she, she did not think this through. She has zero answers. So Will tells her not to stop following her instincts. And she says, this is a terrible place, like a prison. They have to, you know, try, you know, because she promised Pan. So she tells him to make a window to anywhere and she'll drag Roger. She has to. Will starts cutting, but it's just like metallic scraping. It's, it's not working. He's, he tries another. He says that he can only feel rock. And his harpy hisses, what kind of knife bearer cannot use his own knife? This other harpy is like, one led by an ignorant child. And the first one's like, what kind of son abandons his own mother? They continue digging at him, saying all this stuff like that. And then they're like, you know, they'll scream at his mother's nightmares and whatever like that. He destroys the lives of everyone around him. To Lyra, one of the harpies, like, you come here for yourself to feel special. If only Will had never met you. So then they're, they're kind of like frozen, like they're in, in like a trance, just listening to him. Then Lyra finally yells. She's like, no. And she like snaps Will out of it. 
And she says that the knife doesn't work here because they're too low. So they need to get to higher ground. Why would you, how would you even know that? Or how do you know that, that that's possible? It could be like, you're in the land of the dead. There's no way out. That's just how it is. Go to higher ground and it's going to work. Maybe. Gomez tries talking to McPhail. He, he's he's kind of like begging for forgiveness, whatever. And then he's like, you know, what about the serpent? He's like, it's in another world. And, you know, who knows what depravity she's capable of. He's like, what if I were to track her down? And he, he begs to let him do it. Then McPhail, because he's such a poop head, he's like, I will allow you this task for your penance. Which is like, oh my gosh, you're such a piece of crap and so stupid. Mary is working on her journal some more. She's trying to learn the language. She sees like something like shiny, like in the waters, it almost looks like a piece of amber or something like that. So she starts fishing it out. There's like all these like pieces of it. And then, you know, she's, she's gathered a bunch and she kind of compares it to like the, the dried seed or whatever. And she's like, I need a lens. So she goes into water. She's like fishing out for more pieces. She finds this big, like circular piece. It's like a, almost like a, like a dish. And she, uh, kind of polishes it or whatever and uh you know she rubs some of the oil on it from the, the the pods then she holds it to the light outside and she can see dust around everything and she says seraph is dust then atal's like you can finally see and she says like you know look from the tree so she climbs up one of the big huge trees and she sees that the dust is going up from the trees she's like it's leaving so she runs to Tal and she's like, I understand now. The trees are dying. And Atal's like, and so are we. So I don't know why, what, what's going on here. Will and Lyra find Roger again. Lyra asks him what he remembers about Jordan College. And he shakes his head and says, you know, Jordan's gone. And she says that you know, she can remember every nook and cranny. They knew it like the back of their hands. She um, talks about like when they went to the, the cellar and, you know, they... And he's like, they, they found like this old wine or whatever, and it tasted horrible. And, you know, he starts laughing too at, you know, different things that, the, you know, stories. So, and it almost seems like it's getting brighter around them because everything's like very dark and drab. And then she's like, talks about what, you know, all the times on the roof and the stuff that they've, they've done. And then Will comes up and says that they want them to listen. So several dead people are standing around. And Lyra starts walking through the crowd. She goes up high and, you know, she stands up and she says, my name is Lyra. I came here looking for my friend. And Roger kind of smiles. His death was unfair, so I thought he shouldn't be here. What I didn't realize is that none of you should be here. This isn't life after death. This is a prison camp. And then she motions to Will to talk. And he's like, hi, whatever. And he mentions he has a knife, can cut through, through worlds. He's like, if you follow us, I'm hoping that I can use it to get you guys out of here. He's like, I can't make you any promises, but I'll try. Lyra says that they know that they're afraid, but they can get out of here. This dude's like, well, what happens to us if we leave? And he's like, will I be able to see my kids again or something like that? And Lyra says she doesn't know. You know she can't know anything until it had happens. This lady says that, when they were alive, they told them that when they died, they'd go to heaven. And that's why, you know, so many of them gave their lives and spent years in prayer and silence. All, you know, all the joy of life went to waste around them. She says she doesn't care what happens to them when they leave. Anything is better than this. The harpies are nearby, like up, kind of squawking. This other one arrives. And then they're like, there she is, you know, when they're because there's Lyra. Then this little girl comes up and asks what she was saying before those stories. 
So Lyra says it was about the, the outside world. You know, does she remember her life before? And the girl like shakes her head. The lady says everything slips away. The girl asks if she'll tell them stories about real things. So she starts talking about the college with Roger. She talks about meeting Will. He made her an omelet. And, you know, she didn't even know what that was. And Will's like, yeah, and she made me one. And she left the eggs, the shells in there or whatever. They talk about Eoric and his armor. And, you know, they just keep talking and everything. McPhail goes to pray in the chapel. Marissa's uh, brought in to, you know, in handcuffs to the lab. Or, or she's being brought there. They pass the chapel. And, you know, she sees uh, McPhail praying. Father Gomez is preparing for his trip. He's like packing some stuff up. He has a rifle over his shoulder. Marissa's finally brought into the lab. Dr. Cooper kind of looks away because she's just like ashamed. Her monkey's in the cage. She's Marissa's put in his chair and they like to kind of face each other. Then Dr. Cooper comes in and Mar- Marissa asks, if, is this really how things are going to end between them? And she asks, you know, what does she think will happen after this? Does she really believe things will get better? It's like, these are not the wishes of the authority. She's like, you know that. So these are the wishes of a weak and dangerous man. If he is prepared to kill her, think what he might do to her, Dr. Cooper. And she says that when they created this technology, they believed that they were doing the right thing, that they, they were wrong, that this has to stop. McPhail comes in. He says to Dr. Cooper that he can scarcely believe this day has arrived. Coulter's like, you do not understand this technology, Hugh. You're simply going to blow up the magisterium and everyone in it. And he's like, oh, quite the contrary. Our conception is elegantly simple. Separation of human and demon. Marissa's like, do not explain my own technology to me. He says that it has evolved somewhat since your original design. Our bomb is equipped with a guidance mechanism. It is a thing of divine precision and power. Such an exquisite example of the authority's design. Such beauty in its order. And it's just like, what are you even talking about? The authority did not design this. Mrs. Coulter looks at him. She's like, you've lost your mind. You're sick. And he urges her not to struggle. Go willingly. And this could be her redemption. And she's like, you truly think that? That he ordained all this? He's like, the authority has not forsaken you, Marissa. You still have time to repent. Let me give you your final blessing. He moves to put his hand like on her forehead. She like kind of jerks back. And she's like, keep your hands off me. It's like, there's too much blood on them for that. He just like walks out and he's like, initiate the process. Lyra keeps talking. She talks about Mr. Scoresby and his balloon. The lady's like, your stories have made us feel alive again. She's like, I can remember what it's like to have warm flesh. And she's like, I'll come with you. We will come. The harpies like squawk again and growl, whatever. One goes like right up to, to Lyra and she's like, go on, make a ghost out of me. It just like snarls and growls. And Lyra's like, what's your name? You must have one. No name. And then it flies away. They continue talking, and then Lee Scoresby is like, pardon me, coming through. And Lyra hears his voice. She runs up to him, hugs him, and he's like, you're alive. So I guess, I'm trying to remember when he went down. So she didn't know he was dead. And he's like, oh, it's not as bad as it seemed. You know, it was like a stray bullet. And he's like, it was over before, you know, he knew it. And, you know, he says that she doesn't belong here. She introduces him to Will, mentions he has a knife. And he's like, you found a knife there? And, you know, because he just knew rumors of it, whatever. So then uh, Lee's, you know, they're going to get out of there. So Lee's like, there's still some stragglers in the back. I'll go round them up. And he starts like, you know, yelling at people to hurry up. Follow the girl. Then in this uh, big grand hall, 
Metatron's voice says, on your knees before the authority, Alarbus. So Alarbus was that demon that was captured that Azrael was like torturing or whatever. So he bows and we see like this big shadowy angelic form, whatever. He says that he's come with news, Regent. What news do you presume could be of interest to me? Alarbus says that he was captured by humans. The mortal Lord Azrael has formed a republic. He is harnessing technology to challenge you. Go on. So they are able to manipulate dust. And Azrael spoke of a new knife bearer. That knife is of no consequence to me. Alarbus gets up and he's like, the knife bearer is a boy. He has not been corrupted by the knife's power like the bearers before him. Then perhaps it's time to send these mortals a warning. Dr. Cooper readies the bomb. Marissa says that he can keep spewing his doctrine to justify killing a child, but it won't change anything. And she's like, you're worshiping a lie. McPhail says, if you know, you'd only stayed with us, given your life to the authority as you once intended, you would now be on the path to the kingdom. Then two guards get stung with poison by Roke. Uh, Cooper kind of hits a, a lever and a demon guillotine rises. Marissa's like getting wrestling, you know, start struggling, whatever. And she yells, she's like, you and others like you will never be free. The Magisterium is an institution that fears what it does not understand, and it turns on its own. And then she looks at Dr. Cooper in the eyes. McPhail's kind of like praying, whatever. He's like, be swift in your final wrath. Be mighty in your vengeance. And this dial shows that it's ready to go. The guillotine starts to fall, and then Dr. Cooper pulls up the lever and it stops. McPhail opens his eyes, he stares at Cooper. And she's like... I will not be part of this. McPhail's like glaring now. And then Roke flies in. Uh, Cooper stands between McPhail and the controls. He's like, are you instructing me, Dr. Cooper? I will not hurt her. Then he uh, has some like metal pipe or something like that. He strikes Dr. Cooper in the head. And Marissa yells out, no. McPhail like stares down. And Cooper's demons turns to dust. So he killed her. Like one bloated head and she's dead. The monkey like pushes his cage open somehow and goes to Marissa and undoes her strap. McPhail turns on the machine again and he moves into the other room to to secure Marissa. Roke flies in front of him back and forth. McPhail easily grabs him and like throws him against the wall. His wings are like kind of like all bent and everything like that. He's like knocked out. Hopefully he's not dead. But it's just like that was that did like nothing. Marissa gets up and like she's like she does some weird kind of like almost like karate chops on his back. That's kind of like when you give someone like a massage or something like that. And he's on his knees. She manages she grabs the sash around his neck. She's like pulling on it, like choking him. And he flings her her back onto you know on the ground on her back and he has his, his hands around her throat. She somehow moves up and bites his arm. He like lets go. And then she manages to grab him, bangs his head against the floor. She starts beating down like both fists closed, like, you know, as one, like on him. The monkey looks at his computer screen and screams. So the, the, the thing has detected liar or something like that. Target locked. So she goes to the machine stupidly instead of finishing off McPhail. McPhail um, opens his eyes on the floor and Marissa, she stupidly puts her hands on the screen, like touching it, like, oh, this is supposed to be Lyra, instead of destroying the bomb or making sure that McPhail's done. She's just like touch, looking at the screen. He gets up, alarm goes off. Oh, authority, savior of our, this earth. He straps himself into the seat and his lizard demon gets on top of the cage. Marissa tries like flipping the switches, but nothing happens. And she realizes that she doesn't have the key. 
So she goes to the device, she like twists out, you know, the component part with the hair, and it seems to shut it down just in time. McPhail opens his eyes, and Marissa like drops the machine, and like the, the part of it bends or something like that. Then this bright light shines outside, and so Meta- Metatron's warnings like, "You think dust can make you gods? Let us see how you fare without it." So I don't know what that means. So he's taking dust away. There's this brighter light. The guillotine falls. McPhail's demon disappears. So does that mean he's dead, or is this something going to happen with the the no dust thing? So Lyra and Will see this bright light in the sky. Marissa has her hands over her ear. She's like screaming, whatever. So I don't know if there's a noise or something like that. The big light falls in the land of the dead, and then there's like this explosion. It almost looked like you know something was was falling, like a, a glowing meteor or whatever. Marissa continues screaming, and then the explosion shockwave overtakes like Lyra and the others, like whoosh, and that's the end of episode five and that is going to be it for for this week's coverage because like i said that's just about an hour of of his dark material so i you know i am enjoying it but but i you know and i i totally understand that you know you have to have these despicable villains because if you don't have the villains it's not interesting you have no one to root for you know you could have the best heroes but if they don't have any conflict i get it but yeah so that's uh his dark material for this week so yeah the show's over our coverage is not over (laughs) we're we're gonna keep it going all right then national treasure edge of history season one episode four charlotte like as i as i I think i mentioned at the beginning i i'm i'm enjoying this show uh it it makes me i want to go back i should i don't know when i will i want to go back and and watch the the first two national treasure movies because i i know i i enjoyed the first one you know for, for as cheesy as it was uh maybe i'll do that i don't know but i liked the just the idea of this mystery you know that it's it's intriguing and um some things are a little too convenient some things are a little cheesy but uh you know i'm not super crazy about all the characters but i feel like it's some of the things that i i kind of joke about or nitpick about were toned down a little bit more in this this episode and as i mentioned also at the beginning there is a kind of a callback to another character which was was nice to just to make this feel like you know this is supposed to be national treasure so you know yeah we don't have nicholas cage could we i hope so i think that would be awesome if they brought him in at, at the end i don't think it's going to happen but um we get something pretty close. So it's uh, last week, you know, they, they went to Graceland. They were able to get this big clue involving Elvis. You know, they got this, this record or, you know, this recording, they played it backwards. And as Elvis saying all this stuff, somehow Billy, Catherine Zeta Jones, she got the message too. So it's like, how could she get this? I think somehow she placed a, a bug or something like that in, in the office in the, in Peter Sadusky's the dead former FBI guy from the movies in his office or his computer somehow but we'll we'll see do we find out this 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 week so jess um our main character is sitting in a circle of open books there's books about the conquistadors the, the sisters of the the plume serpent elvis all this stuff you know everything like that she puts some notes up you know cards on the wall and then there's like a pounding on the door and tasha's like sitting on a couch here so they're like they're on edge, you know, because they, they've dealt with a bunch of stuff. So just looks in the peephole. There's a dude there. He's like delivery. And she tells Tasha, she's like, it's a sketchy man. And, um, the guy's like, it's, it's from Ethan. That still doesn't mean anything. So Tasha's like, tell him to leave it by the door. So she's like, leave it by the door. <laughs> she like lowers her voice. So he's like, whatever. And he's like, leaves. She open the door real quick, get this box, open it up. 
these like, fancy cupcakes. And Tasha's like grabs one. She's like, oh, you two need to fight more often. But still, it's like very, um, how do you know that it's really from Ethan? Oren is looking over like a bunch of books. Ethan's bump, you know, he looks at his phone. He he got, he's like, oh, I got one yum emoji from, from Jess. It's like, you're such an idiot. Then Oren asks Ethan if he wants to help find a clue. And he's like, I can't. He's like, I'm going golfing. He's like, Mina is, is going to give him some pointers. So he's going with his, his girlfriend. So it's like, then shut up about your emojis from Jess, who you obviously like. You know, you got this other secret girlfriend that you would, wouldn't tell her for six months. Jess is getting frustrated. She's like, I used to love solving puzzles. Now she hates them, whatever. Then we this plane arrives. It's Riley Poole. He's uh, Nicholas Cage's his buddy from the movies, whatever. He gets off his plane. He calls Ben, Nicholas Cage. He's like, oh, good news. They're turning the, uh, my, the podcast into a streaming show. And then um, so Ben must ask, like, what's the difference? He's like, oh, you know, it's, it's people are going to be watching or whatever. And then Riley says, you know, guess who's going to be the first guest? And he's like, Benjamin Franklin Gates. He's like, we shoot in a week. And then um, then he's like, oh, okay, or whatever. So he tells his assistant that Charlotte's sick and Abigail has to work. So then on the phone, Riley's like, he's like, oh, that's terrible. He's like, what about the wake? Because, you know, Nicolas Cage is supposed to go to the wake. But then he's like, oh, okay, I'll give the Sadusky family your condolences. Condolences. So Nicolas Cage isn't coming to the wake. And then to himself, he says that... Looks like he may have to do it all himself. Just as uh, FaceTiming, Zooming with some um, professor, just Dr. Torres guy, she thanks him for responding to her email. And he said that he felt it was his duty to make sure she understood the truth, that Malinche was a traitor, you know, who, who she couldn't read or write. Just asked, she's like, isn't it possible she could have learned? And he's like, no, it's impossible. I was like, why? To Tasha, she says that that was the fifth expert to dismiss her theory. Then she's like, you know, who am I kidding? She's like, this clue hasn't been cracked in 200 years. And Tasha's like, it's just a little setback. You know, it happens to the best of us. Then Jess gets a, a text from Liam. You know, maybe Twin Tongue Serpent means kinky kiss. And, you know, Tasha sees that. She's like, did he just say kinky kiss? And Jess is kind of smiling. And Tasha's like, oh, why don't you ask him if he wants to have a clue session over pizza later? And then Jess is like, like, oh, Liam's not into pizza that way. you know." And she's like, well, how do you know that? She, well, she's like, according to his socials, and, and there's no love or breakup songs in his SoundCloud. So what's that? That mean he doesn't like anyone? Or Liam is, is, you know, he's kind of smiling, looking at his phone because, you know, he's texting Jess because obviously they like each other. And then his mom's like, oh, there you are. And and she's like, oh, like, oh, who are you texting? Whatever. And she's like, you have to get dressed for the wake. You know, the guests will be arriving soon. And he's like, why are you doing, you know, why are you having a wake? And she's like, you know, I haven't seen him forever, but, you know, Peter was my father-in-law for 20 years. Then, you know, he gets a text about the pizza or whatever. It's actually Tasha sending, you know, texting on Jess's phone while she's sitting there next to her. Then he replies that he can't because he has a thing. And so then mom's like, you know, who are you texting so much or whatever? And she's like, why don't you just invite whoever you're texting to the wake? And he's like, definitely not. He's like, that'd be weird. And his mom's like, fine, then it's just going to be us and a bunch of grandpa's old cronies telling stories about the good old days. So he kind of thinks about that. He's like, oh, crap. So then uh, Tasha's like, she tells Jess that the thing that he has today is his grandpa's wake. And he wants you to come. And she's like, it's at two. She's like, oh, my God, he's asking you on a date. And Jess's like, what? No. She's like, I can't. And Tasha's like, is it is it too soon? Too sad? It'll just remind you of your mom's funeral? And just like, how do you, you know, how do I say all that without saying all that? 
and Tasha's like, it's okay. You know, I'll, she's like, I'll just say that, you know, you're helping me with a thing. And then Tasha's phone buzzes, just looks at it. She's like, oh no, Liam just invited you and Oren to the wake too. So they're like, so it's definitely not a date, which would have been weird. Cause yeah, who, you, hey, you want to go on a date to my grandfather's wake? So, but then she's like, apparently there'll be tons of food. And Tasha's like, yeah. And there'll also be, you know, tons of FBI agents. So Jess is like, okay, it's, it's settled. You know, it's like, we're not going. So then Tasha says that Liam doesn't need them because he has Oren, right? Then they kind of look at each other and Jess is like, we have to go, don't we? The scene changes. We see this long haired, like dorky, you know, gray haired dude, old dude, whatever. He's like, you almost lost the obsidian relic to a girl with no means. And Billy's, she's sitting at the end of this big boardroom table. There's like 11 old stuffy dudes. And Billy's like, I didn't almost lose anything. She's like, I have the relic. And the dude's like, the Pan American relic isn't like the others. And it's personal to you. And he's like, you know, you lost your brother looking for it. So I guess that's part of the reason. Then, you know, so they're afraid it's affecting her judgment. She says that it's because of her that they have two pieces of the treasure map. And the dude's like, yeah, but Salazar. She's like, I am not worried about Salazar. I can handle him. He's in jail. He's in some Mexican prison. So they should all be happy with the treasure, that the treasure is personal to her. Because no one in the room wants it more than she does. So why don't they stop second guessing her? You know, they should just grab their pom-poms and start cheering her on. Not only does she have two pieces of the map, but she just acquired a clue to the third does anyone want to hear it she takes out her phone and she's obviously going to play the elvis message which so at this point we still have no idea how she got the message cuts to her in in a parking garage casey's like oh i wish i could have seen their faces when they heard elvis's voice and bill is like oh yeah it was a real tiktok moment what what does that even mean why would billy know anything about tiktok why do i barely know anything about tiktok and i'm trying to use it then these two dudes pop out, you know, pop out from between some cars. Billy's like, oh, is that you, Charlie? Do you want to speak to me? Don't beat around the bush. And then this other old dude pops out and he's like, I'm going to need those relics. And she's like, oh, are you going rogue now? He's like, because he's obviously interested in the money. You know, he doesn't care about the loyalty to the group or whatever like that. So the two dudes make a move. Casey, she's surprisingly, she, she's got some moves. She takes them out, whatever. And then she moves towards Charlie. And he's like, oh, he puts his hands up. He's like, whoa, whoa, let's talk about this. She grabs, Casey grabs his tie, forces him to his knees. And Billy's like, oh, dear, your hostile takeover failed. Let's see what kind of boating accident the board wants you to have. Shall we? <laughs> That's my horrible uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones impression on Billy's plane then there's this new dude that replaced the other guy he's like who where did this guy come from uh, then Ka- I don't have no idea what his name he, I don't even know if he has a name at this point maybe in the credits but I didn't look Casey gets a notification that Riley Poole is in Baton Rouge for Peter Sadusky's wake and Billy's like of course he is he was his friend and Casey asks if she thinks that he knows about the treasure this new dude's like, maybe he's just there for the wake. And Casey asks if, she's like, do you want me to have eyes on him? And Billy's like, you know me better than that. I already have eyes on everyone. Because of course she does, right? Who, the, who does she have eyes? Who does, whose eyes does she have on him? It's a long-haired, bearded dude that they thought was following them when they were going to Grace, the, the Graceland. Then, the, like, the I forgot the car. 
And he's so obvious was is he's sitting in a car across the street from like almost a, uh, not directly across the street, but like just down the ways a little bit from from Peter's house. He's and he's just like glaring at, at all the people out there because they're having to wake like in a front yard, which is kind of weird. And, and and he's got his big ass hair of head, just big, bushy gray hair, just like whoosh. Uh, Jess asked Tasha how inappropriate would it be for her to sneak away to the clue room and Tasha's like it'd be so inappropriate and she's like you can't just hide then Liam sees them so Tasha makes an excuse uh, you know Orin's with them and they make an excuse about the chocolate covered strawberries you know so Jess can be alone with Liam then Jess is like, oh, are you okay? And he says he's doing better now. And he's just like, kind of like staring at her. Then this dude comes up. He's like, oh, sorry for your loss, Liam. And then uh, he walks away. Then he's like, why do people say sorry? Like it's their fault. And Jess is like, my favorite was at least your mom feels no more pain or she's in a better place now. And he's like, oof. He's like, at my dad's funeral, it was a lot of at least he died doing what he loved. I was 12. And just kind of chuckles. And he's like, come on. Even a 12-year-old knows that everything always happens for a reason. Liam's like, yeah. And time heals all wounds. Just says that she hopes that one's true. He's like, well, I'll let you know. Orin and Tasha returning with the strawberries. And then Orin sees uh, Riley. He's like, that's Riley Poole. And Tasha's like, who? And he's, he's like, he's, he's like the famous treasure hunter. And Liam's like, oh, yeah, Riley and Ben were, were friends with my grandpa. And Orin's like, I have, to, I have to go get his books and get them autographed. So he's going to take off and come back. So maybe he doesn't live too far. Tasha's like, well, they should ask him about the clue. Just says that uh, she just said it was beyond inappropriate to be, you know, working on a clue during the week. And Tasha says, well, she didn't know a famous treasure hunter would be here when she said it. Then Riley actually walks up and introduces himself to Liam. And he's like, yeah, I think we, we met at your dad's funeral. And Tasha's like, hey, uh, you uh, wrote a bunch of books on treasure. And he's like, I did. She's like, we have a clue to really important treasure we've been trying to solve. She introduces Jess. She's like, she's normally our go-to riddle puzzle person, but this one has her stumped. And Jess is like, he's retired. And he's like, no, 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 no. She's like, I'm not. He's like, me and Ben have been working on this uh, super important thing for the last three or four or 15 years. Then Liam, he's like, is it another lost treasure? And Riley's like, let's just say there's 47 reasons to be interested. Um. I don't know. I'm not. That may, must mean something. Maybe it's obvious. I don't know if they really knew what what he meant by that. But that's all he says. He's like, I'd love to help out. He's like, let's hear it. So Jess is like, the twin tongue serpent's tail is revealed in fair weather by the bend in a newfound land. And Riley starts thinking. He's like, twin means two more than one. Fair weather could be Florida, Orlando. No, that's too humid. Uh, that 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 doesn't work. Albuquerque. There's snakes there. So he's just like, just rambling. Like he has no clue. <laughs> then uh, that FBI dude comes up. He's like, oh, sorry to interrupt. And he asks, he's like, where's Ben? He's like, you know, I heard you've been busy on a, working on a new project. Oren comes home to look for the books. And Ethan comes out like a t-shirt and boxers. <laughs> and it's like, actually like smaller than boxers. I don't know what he's wearing. And he's like, oh, Oren's like, I thought you were golfing. And he's like, I thought you were waking. Then Mina comes out just wearing a shirt. Who are you talking to? And Orin's like, oh, I'll clear out. And he's like, Riley Poole's at the wake. And Ethan's like, who? And he holds up one of the books. And Mina's like, oh, you mean the guy who wrote the something, whatever, something treasure? So she knows who he is. And Orin's like, do you want to meet him? And she asks Ethan. She's like, can we? So they're going to go to the wake. 
so agent ross the the young lady fbi who's you know working on stuff she uh asked a dude how he knew mr sadesky so he, this is a nurse he's like i was his living nurse which i'm still a little suspicious of him or i was he then she's like oh my sister is a nurse and one of her her patients died and left her to house he's like oh no it's like sadesky left at his grandson liam and he like points him out jess has her back so she doesn't um see her because uh jess and, and tasha went to the fbi with office when Oren was kidnapped so then uh um, she d- decides to go talk to, to Liam and then Tasha sees her coming. She's it's like, oh, there's that FBI agent, whatever. So then Ross is like, hello again, Jane Dovers, Jen Lopez. What are you doing here? And Jess is like, uh, we're, we're here for Liam. And she's like, oh, you actually, you all know each other? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she asks, you know, what happened to your kidnapped friend? And Tasha's like, uh, it's like, we, we found him. It was, it was a big misunderstanding. Then Ross asks about the, the relic, and Liam says, he's like, you know, the thing people don't really understand about my grandpa's, he's, he was crazy. And then she sees her supervisor, and she's like, okay, you know, it's nice talking to you. And she, like, ducks away because she's worried about that she's not supposed to be there. Ross, now, then she she goes to Peter's office. She's, like, looking through his desk. You know, she's wearing gloves, and I, she's probably looking for, the, like, what meds he's on, the, you know, what was the, the stained on his hand from the, the toxicology reports and all that stuff like that. Then she sees this plant and she checks out with like one of those plant apps and it's like warning poisonous. It's like something called an English U, Y-E-W. And then she like takes a sample and sticks it in like a plastic bag. So then the mom's like, eulogies, eulogies is 15 minutes. If anyone wants to give one. <laughs> Liam says, he's like, oh, my mom's going to want me to say something. He's like, I, I can't. Just like, well, why don't you just go hide? He's like, we'll cover for you. So Ross exits the office. She's walking down the hall. And then she runs into her supervisor. He's like, Agent Ross, what are you doing here? And she's like, oh, I was uh, looking for the powder room. And then he's like, you know, I know you went ahead with a toxicology report on, on Peter. And she's like, uh, she, you know, she's like stuttering and starting to say sorry. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I'm the one who should apologize. He's like, Peter may have been off his rocker the last few years, but that doesn't mean his death doesn't deserve to be investigated. He's like, I respect you for not giving up. He's like, I support you 100%. So I'm like, are you serious? Does he really supporting her? Cause I feel like he's in on it. Like he's suspicious, but maybe he's not. Oren, Ethan and Mina arrive. The big haired dude still in his car. Ethan sees him as they're like crossing the street. And he's, he tells them, he's like, Oh, I, I left something in the car. It's like, I'll meet you inside. So then he, as they, they walk over, which I don't know why he, maybe cause Mina's there. He doesn't want her to be involved. Then he starts walking towards the car. He's like, Hey, what are you doing? And I guess the car was running or something like that because it's just a, it just takes off. And conveniently, I didn't you couldn't really see it, but there's like a, a side road, so it's able just to go and take off. I thought it was gonna like head at him and like he was gonna have to jump out of the way, but you no, know, it just it turned down the side road. Inside, Riley texts Ben saying that he needs help with a riddle, but then he like deletes it before he sends it. So he's in Peter's office, and then he like sees some books on the shelf. He's like, "Oh, those are my books." He, he's surprised that Peter has his books. Like he's an, even has the French version. He goes to grab it, but it doesn't come out all the way. Then it kind of like snaps back into place because you have to like pull it out and push it in or like something like that. So he's like, "He's like that's weird." Tasha and Jesse, Ethan, um, they dig at him for you know crashing awake after a round of golf. He's like. He like doesn't acknowledge it. He's like the bearded guy was here. They're like who? There's like the guy that we thought was following us. He turns out he was. He's like so they know Billy must still be keeping tabs on them. So Jess she wants to go warn Liam. She finds 
Riley inside the clue room and he says that he saw Peter had some copies of the French translation of his book, which is expensive. And it, it turned out it was part of a locking mechanism. And he's like, what is this place? And she's like, it's Sadusky's clue room. Then he sees uh, the pipe and the glasses. He's like, oh, I guess I don't know if they're both from, from the movies. Cause again, like I haven't watched them in a while. Cause there's a flashback to Riley putting the glasses on saying they're like, you know, early American x-ray specs, whatever he picks them up. And she's like, oh no, it says do not touch. As he picks them up, there's like invisible laser grid. Alarm goes off. The windows shut. The doors lock. Automated voice is like, enter passcode to cancel intruder lockdown. And then a paper starts fluttering like towards events. It's like that. Then it stops. And then airtight seals engage. Oxygen level dropping. Just she like takes her phone out to call Liam or something like that and to text him. No no service on her phone. So I don't know if it just like blocks it all. Then they start pounding on a door, but there's no one in the outer office. So no one can hear him. Eulogies are about to start. The nurse dude, who again, I still don't trust him. He finds Liam in this patio area. He's like, oh, your grandpa used to come out here to feed the birds, like in, in quotes. And then he's like, he's really sneaking a glass of whiskey. Then Liam's like, oh, can you just not, not tell anyone you saw me here? He's like, sure, sure. He grabs a couple folding chairs that are like leaning against the wall. Then he's like, for what it's worth, your grandpa loved your music. And Liam's like, he never heard me play. So it's like, hmm, that's suspicious, right? But then dude's like, I found you on, I found your your SoundCloud for him. He's like, his favorite song was the one about, about his your, your band. And he's like, your songs were the only things that made him smile. So that was really, that was like a touching thing. Riley's still pounding on the door and just like, Mr. Poole, no one can hear us. And she's like, we're gonna have to figure out Sadusky's passcode. And Riley's like, 58% of people use their birthday as her passcode. And she's like, and you know what that is? He's like, we, we sent a birthday present to him every year because he didn't send us a prison when we stole the Declaration of Independence. He's like, Ben's idea, not mine. So he's like, August 11th, 1938. Incorrect. Four more attempts. The FBI um, supervisor, Hendricks, he gives his eulogy. He's like, when I started the FBI, you know, a piece of paper went missing. The Declaration of Independence. <laughs> People left. He's like, Ben Gates went to, you know, went to me first and I ignored it. Peter protected me. It's like, it taught me a lesson. Never ignore a civilian report, no matter how ridiculous it sounds. <laughs> Which is like such a stupid thing to say at a eulogy. Obviously, that's like meant so agent rosk's like hmm maybe i should think more about this uh so it's just kind of silly jess is like okay we have four tries left it's just like it's like an escape room i'm really good at those or at least i used to be riley's like oh i know masons are protected but this is ridiculous and she's like well you know he had dementia at the end and riley's what he had dementia so he must have hidden a passcode somewhere in case he forgot so they start looking around oxygen level 70 percent jess asks um she's like what about the fbi seal right above the keypad so Riley starts listing random things again. It's like he just, his thinking is so far off. Just like maybe it's not the words, but it's the FBI's motto. So they're like fidelity, bravery, integrity, and and he's like, um, you sound like an old friend of mine. He's talking about Nicholas Cage. Liam's mom asks, "Would anyone else like to say a few words?" Then Liam walks up. I would. So Tasha says to Oren, "If Liam's here, where's Jess?" Jess says fidelity means loyalty. What's loyal? Riley's like, uh, wife. He was married for a long time. And Jess is like, how long? He's like, I, I have no idea. They're like, what else? Um, then she sees this little figurine of dogs. She's like, dogs. Dogs are loyal. So she goes, looks at the, the dog. Underneath the, the figurine is 74. 
So Riley enters it. Beep. Passcode sequence initiated, which is so stupid because it's giving you a clue you're on the right track. Some weird lock. Uh, so it, it's got that locked in there. Jess says, uh, um, she's like, I don't feel good. And Riley's like, oh, it's because the oxygen level is dropping. It's like, we need to keep going. She's like, what's next? Bravery. Liam has his guitar. He's like, I wrote this song because my grandpa used to play a lot of Neil Young when I was little. It's called, I Miss That Band. Tasha's like in the main office looking for Jess. You know, inside, the oxygen level is 55%. Jess is like, bravery, could could, could that be the seven red stripes in the American flag? Which I is like totally reaching. So she hits seven incorrect but it's like how do you know it wasn't like zero seven because you know i don't even think they know how like, how many digits it's supposed to be um riley kind of like stumbles he knocks over this little shelf and, and tasha hears it in front of the office she's like is someone in there she hits uh, the two sets of the two books whatever the two things but the door won't open and um inside they have two more attempts 50 percent oxygen level Liam finishes a song. His mom comes up to him. You know, she's like, "That was beautiful. That it was about your dad, wasn't it?" And he just like starts walking. She's like, "I'm sorry." And he's like, "For what? For saying that you'd regret wasting your time on music?" It's like, "I was so wrong." And Liam's like, "No, you weren't." It's like, "I lost my gig at the at the club. They switched to karaoke." And she's like, "Their loss is Nashville's gain." Tasha comes up to him. She's like, "Uh, I need to borrow Liam." She's like, "Okay." She's like, "Someone, uh, someone's locked in the clue room, and I can't find Jess." So then Ethan decides to, to get up from his seat. It's like, what are you going to do, Ethan? Oxygen level is 40%. Riley sees a box. It's Jack Sadusky's Silver Star. Just like, bravery. He flips it on the back is 11. Beep. It works. One code left. Integrity. Liam tries the lock. He's like, they must have triggered intruder lock. He's like, my, my grandpa has a special watch. So they start looking for whatever. But they're like, maybe he was wearing it when he died. And Warren's like, what if they buried him in it? Then he, uh, Liam sees some packages of mail. There's a book for Liam with like a paper cover. It said something. It was like, I think it was something in Latin that someone had mentioned before. So that's probably going to come into play maybe in a later episode. But then there's a package from the coroner's office, like a big envelope. The watch is inside. So it's, it's basically just like a smartwatch. It says that the oxygen level is low, but then it asks for a thumbprint. They're like, thumbprint? Why would your, your grandpa do this? Because they, they can't open it. Riley asks Jess, how long um, has she been trying to crack the code? And she's like, forever, three days. He's like, three days? He's like, Ben's family tried to crack the clue about the Charlotte for three generations. And Charlotte is the name of the episode. Hmm. Jess chuckles. And she's like, how did Ben finally solve it? Riley says that Ben thought it was a woman. But when he started uh, about the the yacht, that when Riley started going about the yacht he was going to buy after he found a treasure and what he was going to name it, Ben realized that Charlotte was a ship. So Jess is like, of course. It's like, I've been assuming the twin tongue serpent was Malinche, but there were other interpreters that were forced to help the colonizers. Then she goes into the zone. So she's back in a circle of books. She's like other women interpreters, like, you know, pictures or drawings of them. She's like, the twin tongue serpent was Sacagawea. She gets it just like that. She's, and she thinks, she thanks Riley, but oxygen level is critically low. It's like a 10%. Then Jess sees a picture of a snake, like in his frame, like on a, on a shelf. She's like, integrity doesn't only mean honesty and virtue. It also means completeness and unity. So she looks at the picture. The snake is like in eight pieces and at the, on, underneath it says join or die. Then Riley's like, it represents the eight colonies. And she's like, except they're out of order. She's like, these aren't the colonies because there's letters. There's H-E-N-O-E-G-T-I-Y. 
And Riley's like, it's an anagram. He's like, I'm really good at this. And he's like, hey, 10 ego. But when I look at it, I'm, I'm looking at these numbers. Uh, and I had a lot of numbers, these letters. I'm like, it's clearly 81. Because I think seeing the E-G-T-I-Y, and maybe I've been playing too much words with friends. I was like, this is 81. And then he's he says, I get honey. And she's like, it's got to be a number. <laughs> it's like, duh. <laughs> like, what, what are you thinking? And then she's like, 81. And he's like, 180. They're both right. Because it, it could be, you know, 80 or, or 1 and then 80. O-N-E, 80. So then he's she's like she's like well why don't we do it your way and he's like like no no he's like you think like ben and ben's always right so she types it 81 intruder lockdown canceled so ethan's there with the others whatever and they come in and then later she tells them that she's like i solved the clue and liam is like is you really think about the clue right now and ethan's like who cares about the clue you almost died and Orin's like, no, 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 no. It's like, let her finish. And she says, Newfoundland isn't three words. It's one, Newfoundland. That's the breed of the dog Luce and Clark took on their expedition. Liam says, he's like, you're saying it wasn't Malinche? It was Sacagawea? And she chuckles because he knew that. She's like, she's like right. And I, th- I think Ethan or someone's like, he's like looking like, what? So she's like, Sacagawea translated a bunch of, for a bunch of indigenous people. It was her job. And Liam's like, she totally could have been a daughter to Plume Serpent. And just as like, she was entrusted with a clue to the treasure, which she hid in one of the expedition journals. Liam's like, it's so obvious now. And Orin's like, is it? And stupid Ethan's like, oh, it seems like a reach. And Liam's like, dude, come on. It's like the twin tongue serpent's tail is revealed in fair weather. Meriwether Lewis and Jess is like by the bend in the Newfoundland Sacagawea hid the clue in a journal Meriwether dedicated to his Newfoundland dog because she knew the journal would be preserved and Liam's like it's brilliant if you think about it Ethan's like okay uh, what does bend mean and how did Elvis's great 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 grandma get the clue from Sacagawea then Riley's like it's York and he's like what's York not what who York was a man enslaved by Clark. He was the only African-American not at the, the core of discovery. He navigated trails, bartered for food. He saved their lives multiple times. They wouldn't have been successful without him. And Tasha's like, yet another black hero forgotten by history. And Riley says, Sacagawea wasn't the only one who hid clues in a journal. He's, um, you know, York also made entries. He carried those secrets with him after the expeditions find his wife in Kentucky. Why Riley knows all this stuff is, is crazy. Okay. This is kind of nuts, but he didn't make it because he succumbed to cholera in Tennessee and Elvis's great, great, great grandmother was also from Tennessee. And Jess is like, how did you know all that? He was like, I'll tell you because I made a podcast. High fives, Orrin. <laughs> Cause at first I'm like, I was like, why the heck would Riley know all this stuff? Because he made a podcast. <laughs> Satasha looks up on her phone. Meriwether Lewis was a governor of Louisiana, and a journal he dedicated to his dog is, and an orange like, on display at the governor's mansion, they say together. He's like, it's my fourth grade field trip. Drinks are on me. And Tasha's like, they're free, Orin. Outside, Liam goes up to Jess, and he's like, how are you feeling? And she's like, alive, so good. He says that he realized today his grandfather was right. There's no greater treasure than lost time. He's like, so I'm not going to waste time anymore. He grabs her, pulls her to him. Smooch! And a big, cute, a big cheesy pop song. <laughs> and stupid Ethan, he's just standing there, sees them kissing. Then Mina comes up to him. She's like, I get it now. It's like, your bestie's into bad boys. And he's like, how do you know he's a bad boy? 
And she's like, um, the hair, the tood, the brooding musician vibe. She's like, no thanks. And he's like, uh, so you're not into bad boys? She's like, nope, just good guys. She kisses him. Smooch! It's like, make out central. And then Orin, <laughs> he's sitting next to Tasha. He like puckers up and moves towards her. And she just like puts her hand up. And he's like, okay, cool, cool. At Riley's jet, he says to his assistant, he's like, look, Abigail just posted a picture of Charlotte. It's a German shepherd. The assistant's like, oh, cute. Um, and he's like, I have Ben for you uh, on the phone. So they like switch phones. He's like, Ben, hey, you won't believe this. Liam is cleaning up the yard. Just phone buzzes. It's Riley. He's like, are you alone? And she's like, uh, yeah. And he's like, listen, someone else knows about your clue. He's like, I'm not sure who, but Ben's mom, Dr. Emily Gates, she's a foremost expert on Mesoamerican language and history. She was approached by someone who played her recording that's of what sounded like Elvis. And just like, that's impossible. It's like, no one knows about that recording except for me and my friends. And Riley's like, well, one of your friends may not be your friend. And then she thinks back to like listening to the recording with Liam and she's like staring at him. So now she's suspicious of him. They just kissed. Can she trust him? Because it wouldn't make sense for it to be Tasha or Oren and Ethan, even though he's a big wet blanket, you know, none of them would, would betray her. So of course they think it's, it's Liam, but I, I still think his off the office was bugged or his computer because I think someone killed Peter and they poisoned him or did something and they probably put a bug in there. So we'll have to see. So we don't know. We don't find out this week how she got the, the recording, but, uh, We'll have to have to wait for that. So, I, like I said, I, I'm enjoying it. Okay, then with Doom Patrol season four, episode five, Youth Patrol. <laughs> I just, I like I said, I love this show. I think this show's so ambitious. It's so this is this is like one of the best DC shows. I, I think it's like the best thing out there. Uh, you know, CW stuff. Uh, you know, Superman, Lois. It, it's good, but it's it's not great. It, there's it's so cheesy. Stargirl, I love Stargirl so much. There's a lot of cheesy drama and stuff like that, too. Some things were a little cringy, even though I think Breck Bassinger was awesome. It's amazing as Stargirl. Doom Patrol, man, they just, they go all out there. And I think because of the fact that they can take all these obscure characters, that you can just do whatever. It's just, I, I just, I, I just really, really dig the show. So it starts off, Larry's sitting in his room. You know, he's just thinking, you know, because he has no idea where Keeg is. Vic's sitting in, in the hall. And he's look, looking at the robot that he got from his his buddy, Derek. Larry comes up and he's like, is there any change? And he's like, no, you know, Rita's still asleep. And Vic's like, have you found him? He's like, yeah, I think so. And Vic's like, do you need any backup? And Larry's like, no. He's like, you know, you should stay here. Then he asks Vic, he's like, can you give her a hug for me in case, you know, she wakes up before I get back? And Vic's like, yeah, you know, you just concentrated on getting on getting Keeg. He's like, and you know, just you know, do it fast so you can be here and, and hug her yourself. Jane's in a room, smokes a bowl, lays down, listens to "So Tired" by Crawlers. Um, she pulls out the puzzle piece with the eye from her pocket. It kind of blinks or whatever, and she's laying there, or you know, feeling good. And then she starts, uh, she unbuckles her pants, starts uh, touching herself, and then <laughs> she's on a subway train, and she like jumps up. She's back to the underground and she starts she's like, which one of you bitches? She's like, okay, I get it. What I was doing is a little weird. It's like, maybe it was wrong and dangerous, but it's like chinchillas do it and, and poop. So, so like it, it can't be, it's like, is it really that fudging bad? No one says a word. 
And she's like, okay, I know things are fudged up and I know better, you know, maybe, you know, I shouldn't be, but that, that doesn't give you the right though. Just to, to pull me down here from out of nowhere without warning. And, and pretty Polly's like, what are you talking about? And then someone else, you know, the one's like, no one pulled you down here. And the one's like, you just showed up on your own. And they're like, what were you doing exactly? She's like, nothing. He's like, yeah, nothing. And then she gets back on the train. Cliff is like revving the engine of the car. So Madame Rouge, I think she got in the car, right? Last episode. And he like thanks her. He's like, oh, this is great, whatever. And she's like, yeah, you know, you've been going on about your family and stuff like that. So I figured, you know, work on this would, you know, calm your mind or whatever. And then he screams because he looks in a rearview mirror and, and Willoughby, Willoughby Kipling's in the back seat. And he's like, what have you been, you lot been up to? And he says, you know, the whole world is, is a chatter and more mortis is rising. And it's just like everything else in this godforsaken universe. It all leads back to you lot. And Cliff's like, uh, who the fudge is immortus? And Willoughby says, he's like, gather the others. I'm not repeating myself. So uh, Willoughby, he's a, he's, he's, he's kind of a, a jerk about, about this, but I mean, I guess that's just how he is. And then Rita sits up in the bed. Um, she like looks in the mirror. She sees, or she sees her hands. She's like sees aging spots. And she goes to the mirror. And I couldn't really see because it, it was kind of dark. But I don't know if there's like gray hair. She like looks at her face, and I I couldn't really tell anything. But she obviously noticed something and was very not happy, very distraught over it. Larry's walking through through the woods, and then um, he says he's like, oh, I can feel him, and he's like he's like I'm I'm coming, and he he starts getting like these painful f- flashbacks. And he, he, he tries going, whatever, but then he collapses. And then someone like in a suit walks up behind him. But it's like all blurry and everything like that, so we can't really see who. Cliff, Rouge, and Vic are in the kitchen. Willoughby helps himself to some coffee. And then Rouge is like, top shelf to the left. So there's like a bottle up there. He's like, pours some whiskey or something in there. And then Jane comes in, sits down, and he's like, oh, there she is. And Vic's like, why do you look so sweaty? And, and she's like, <laughs> she's like, I don't know. Why do you look so boring? <laughs> I just love Jane, her attitude. Willoughby says something. Um, he's like, something very big and very dangerous is headed our way. Cliff snorts. Willoughby's like, and I can assure you it's far bigger and far more dangerous than anything you Bellins have ever seen before. So I was like, what the heck is Bellin? Um, it's a British vulgar term. It's like glands of the penis. So they are like, oh, like the laugh of Bellin, whatever. And Willoughby's like, I thought it was just legend it's like tall tales about an ancient forgotten god turns out immortus is real and is coming there so they're wandering into the literal end of days as they speak cliff raises his hand he's like uh actually we took care of the end of the world last week he's like consider the butts wiped you know front to back and rouge <laughs> tries like fist bumping him and but it like hurts her hand the willoughby's like i'm not talking about some arses with teeth he's like this is an interdimensional deity capable of of swelling the entire entirety of existence whole or something like that he's like this could be the end of reality as we know it and rouge is like oh fudge me senseless and call me martha <laughs> she's like the immortus project at the bureau it's like i knew i heard that name before it was some kind of experiment a pursuit of immortality but as i recall it it didn't amount to anything so then he's like actually he's like that's exactly why i'm here calder always swore he had a piece of immortus he's like i never believed him yet here i am amidst a result of his little pet enterprise the immortus project and into rouge he's like well except for you and tracksuit jay's like what do you mean by results willoughby says that he's like you're at a project a long time ago a piece of the fabled de- a deity was procured 
passing through many hands and many shady dealings and backrooms. Whispers proclaimed that it held the secrets of immortality. Whoever adorned it would be gifted with an unnaturally long life. That same piece came in the hands of one Eric Morden. And Vic's like, Mr. Nobody. And, <laughs> and he's like, exactly. And he had it right up until he was shot by the famous adventurer, scientist, and certifiable bastard that we all know, or rather knew as, and Cliff's like, fudge and chief. But he doesn't say fudging. Willoughby says that, that he had it around his neck for years, that it wasn't until he went all honey, I shrunk the kids that he needed it to bail them out. But before all of that, small pieces of necklace were shaved off and mixed in with the sugar spice and all things nice that make up Larry, Rita, Cliff, and little Miss Manic Pixie over here. And he's like, I mean, have you ever wondered why you look exactly the same for decades? And this is exactly, this is the thing I've been wondering since season one, when we saw like flashback stuff, there's like, you know, recording of Jane from like 1980 or something. I was like, how can they look the same? This makes no sense. When is this supposed to take place? It was clearly in the modern day. And so he, then he's like longevity a la Immortus. And Vic's like, uh, he's like, well, what now? He's like, he wants the pieces back. And Willoughby's like, look at that quick as ever, even without a supercomputer jammed up your arse. He's like, there was a break-in at Horst Wiseman's a few weeks ago, which um, Dorothy mentioned last episode. Millions of dollars of bits and bobs, and the only thing that was stolen was a necklace. Safe to say, whoever's working for Immortus now has it and is looking for the other pieces. And before you ask, yes, the pieces inside you can be extracted, like gold or uranium or a blackhead. So, and this is the really important bit, just as long as you don't lose your longevity, the necklace cannot be reconstituted, and Immortus cannot rise. Rouge is like asked like what the extracting process looks like, and he's like what? Cliff's like uh well you know is it like like someone getting sucked into their own filmography? And Jane says or maybe is attacked by a weirdo named Dr. Janice. And Rouge says who uh also happens to be an emotional vampire. Willoughby says there are no depths to your collective stupidity, are there? And they just like look at each other. So I don't know if he thought that they're just being stupid and not knowing what they're talked about or that they're stupid that they allowed all this to happen which they didn't allow it rita goes into niall's office she's looking through his papers and stuff she finds like a map fountain of youth like other stuff she just like dismisses it then she finds this like dusty case marked experimental untested inside there's like little jars of powder and liquid and stuff like that she takes this jar of liquid and then she like kind of turns and cliff walks in and like startles her and she drops the vial liquid and it shatters and he's like what the hell happened to your face which, again, I didn't really notice anything. The others walk in, too. The liquid turns like a pink and purple cloud, fills the room. They all start coughing, whatever. And then when it, the smoke clears, Rita has glasses, like this ribbon on her hair, and she has like this different dress on. Cliff he has a cowboy hat and like a black cowboy shirt, like a leather jacket. Vic has a letterman's jacket. He has some zits. And then he like feels his teeth with his tongue. He has braces on. And Jane's like, Oh my God, look who got metal back. And she just laughs. <laughs> and he's like, shut up, hot topic. Because you know, she's like wearing like a black t-shirt or whatever. You know, she didn't really change that much. And Rita's like, it worked. She's like, the, the last time I wore glasses was 1937. Willoughby has this like weird like hat on and kind of like puffy like old time clothes. And he's like, that was a deep aging spell. You, whatever the female equivalent of a dickhead is. And Jane's like, clithead? Rita's like, well, excuse me, if Cliff didn't rush in like some brainless buffoon, Willoughby's like, you're all teenagers again. And Jane's like, that's BS, because we all look pretty much the same. 
which is is probably like a, a joke because whenever they they try doing stuff like this, they always like hope that people will accept it. But Willie's Willoughby's like, do you feel the same? And Cliff's like, uh, kinda. Except I also feel like pounding a metric ton of Taco Bell and whacking off. And Jane says to Willoughby, she's like, uh, do you need a mirror? Because you still look like a thousand years old. <laughs> And he's like, well, clearly it's not a very good de-aging spell. He's like, probably why it was in a lockbox marked experimental, untested, and dangerous. Then he says, by the way, aging works differently for chaos magician. And then uh, Jane like, makes some burn at him, whatever, and Cl- Cliff laughs. Then he's like, for your information, teenage chaos magicians are follically gifted. He takes off his hat and he has this like long flowing hair or whatever. And they're like, oh, wow. <laughs> and Cliff's like, uh, does aging work differently for bird lady Ottomans too? And wrote Rouge, because nut Rouge hasn't changed. She's like, no. She's like, I just held my breath. She's like, Year, years old bureau training kicked in. You see a cloud of smoke? Don't breathe. Don't choke. She's like, it's simple. Willoughby looks at the, the label tag from the broken jar. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, this is a Kirby hex. He's like, really, really bad. And he like walks off. Larry's suddenly, he appears in some lab and he sees uh the dude who kind of betrayed them when they went into Rita's films, um, the guy who was in Heroes, uh, what's his name? Um, he was also in uh, the bad guy, and he was a, a bad guy in Flash. Anyways, he's sitting in his chair, and the dude asks him to state his name. He's like, Rama, sir. Do you go by any other names? Uh, Mr. 104, sir. When and where were you born? He's like, 1928, Tamal Nada in India, sir. At the height of the British... Raj, what made you decide to move to London? He says that he wanted to study physical sciences, uh, organic chemistry specifically. Is this truly your story? I'm sorry, sir? And the dude asks him, he's like, do you believe everything that you said to be true? And he's like, uh, yes, sir. And he's like, I, I swear. And dude's like, remarkable. And to, he says that to himself. Then he's like, subjects, enter. So these men and women in suits walk in. He's like, Mr. 104, you can begin with air augmentation experiment now. Now, sir? Dude, he's like, they're agents at a bureau. Everything that happens here is in service of our freedom. They understand that. And this lady pulls out a gun like a pistol and points it at, at him. Then he closes his eyes, raises his hand. The air like starts turning like water droplets. They start swirling around. It's like that. The agents start coughing and like choking. And Larry's like, <gasps> and then Mr. Winifor releases the water, you know, because they all fall to the ground. The, the water like splashes on top of them. Experiment complete. Thank you, Mr. Winifor. That will be all. So I guess they're all dead. Then Larry wakes up lying on the floor in like some cabin or something like that. Mr. Four is kind of like leaning against like a couch or something like that. And he's like, not Polly. We meet again. Not Polly. I don't know what, the, what he meant by that. So so he's looking pretty beat, whatever. Then Larry sees his chest is glowing a little bit. He's like, Keeg. He gets up to go over him. Mr. One of four extends his hand out. And then Larry's like slammed against the wall. And Mr. One of four is like, I understand you're confused. And you think I'm your enemy. Larry's like, I just want my kid. He's like, please, just let him go. He's like, you think I'm doing this on purpose? So he says that he's been trying to get rid of him, but no matter what he he does, he won't leave. And then like electricity blasts out of his hand, and it hits Larry, and he like falls to the ground. He's like knocked out again. Willoughby looks over this map. He has like some medallion hanging over it, whatever. And Rita's like, once again, my work goes unappreciated. I, for one, think we all look fabulous. Well, except for Vic. Willoughby tells her to shut the F up. He's like, he's trying to find her. He's like, he can barely, you know, get the location spell to work. And Rouge is like, uh, of, oh, of course. Is it true your kind don't, proper, don't properly get magic until you lose your virginity? And Cliff's like, dude, your V-seal grew back. 
And Rita's like, so what? Why should we fight this anyways? We's like, we should be enjoying our time as virile youth. And Willoughby's like, except that we don't have any time at all. He's like, you didn't just stumble, stumble into any old run-of-the-mill youthification spell. This is a curse, and it'll keep de-aging us. First teenager, then children, then babies, and then nothing. So his mentor, Miss April, is the only one that he trusts to help them. And then the, the, the medallion finally like zeroes in on her. You know, it's like just floating, hovering, whatever, as he's hanging it, dangling it. She's in Toledo. And I think Vic's like, that's two towns over. Then he's like, pedal to the metal, Cliff. Mr. 104 materializes in the test room. So now Larry's strapped to the chair. He's in like jumpsuit, gas mask. And then uh, the dude's like, welcome back, Mr. Trainer. Larry tells Keeg, he's like, no, stop this. And he's like, subjects, enter. Larry's like, no, no, no. He's like, just, you know, let me out of here. Let me out. There's, there's like a flashlight and it cuts. Cliff's puts a, pulls the car up to the gas station. Um, Vic's going to pump. He like tells them, he's like, oh, can you get me all these, these different snacks or whatever? Cliff and Jane start walking in. Then he's like, you, he's like, oh, do you think we'd be BFFs in, in high school? And she's like, what? She's like, he's like, weren't you like popular and stuff back then? And she says, uh, you know, she's like, I wasn't even around. She's like, I'm glad I skipped high school. He's like that awkward hormonal stage BS. He's like, but that stuff is what, you know, makes a person who they are. And he like says some other stuff, whatever, like that, whatever. They see some kids smoking pot around the side. So she goes over, she wants to hit. And they're like, uh, and who are you? Whatever they introduce her like that. They want some booze in return, and then they they say that they bet Cliff never gets carded. So Rita and Rouge go in the bathroom. They, there's only one stall, whatever. So Rita sarcastically is like, "Oh, after you, leader, whatever." So Rita figures that they'll be able to uh, they'll be be able to get fixed and be like they were before, you know, Doctor Janice, whatever. And Rouge is like, you know, well, don't get your hopes up. She mentions how Niall spent decades trying to figure out the aging thing and couldn't. Um, and then um, Rita ends up walking out and she like walks past, you know, the, the car and the others and Rouge follows. She's like, oh, just go ahead and we'll catch up. And Willoughby's like, this isn't part of the plan, whatever. Then Cliff and Jane walk up with the three quote unquote teens. They don't really look like teens. And Cliff is like, our new BFFs, uh, Charlie, Jeremy and Winona, were just mentioning a super cool party. And Willoughby's like, we're on a mission here. And Vic's like, why is this poop always on us anyways? And Willoughby starts yelling at them, whatever, like that. Then they start calling him, like, square, 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 square. And then Jane's like, virgin, virgin, virgin. And Willoughby's like, fine. He's like, we can go for five minutes. Woo! Larry's still in the chair. He's, like, struggling. Begin experiment. The agents, like, hold him down. They remove his gas mask. Then they start, like, coughing and choking. They fall to the ground. And Mr. 104 disappears. Then he reappears next to Larry. And he's, like, kind of like, flickering with energy. There's, like, stuff, like, all over him. He tells Larry, he's like, just breathe. He's, like, in and out. He's He says, he's like, I can turn my skin to lead. You can't hurt me. Just breathe. Then they're back at the cabin, lying on the floor. And their, like, hands are, like, almost touching. Party is in this big indoor pool. Teenagers by My Chemical Romance is playing. And Vic's like, is this legal? And Cliff's like, not for long. They tell Vic to loosen up, whatever. He's like, what? What are you talking about? So then finally he takes his, sh- his jacket off and his shirt and his shoes. He cannonballs into the pool. Booyah, baby. There's like drinking from like Cliff's holding the, one of her friends like upside down as he's drinking from a keg. Willoughby's, he, Willoughby's having a good time too. Jane's like doing, she's like dancing. Then later Vic comes out of the pool. Jane's like sitting by the side. And then she, she's like, um, holy 
poop. She's like, are you smiling? And he's like, oh, guilty. He's like, uh, but we should probably get going. And then she makes him like puff the joint. And he like coughs or whatever. She's like, I knew it. She's like, you're a nerd, you know, teacher's pet, captain of sports and stuff, whatever. And he's like, well, what were you like? And she's like, I don't know. She's like, Miranda was a teenager. And then Kay pooped me out of her brain way later. She's like, this is my first experience in teenagehood. And he's like, well, what's the verdict? And she's like, well, it's like a janky carnival ride that makes you want to puke, but also one that you don't want to get off. And he like laughs. He's like, yeah. And he, she's like, so being a kid is just as complicated as everything else? And he's like, yeah. Some things are simple, pure, like for friendship, for instance. He thinks back to, to his buddies. And he says that you know when he was in middle school, he made the most genuine friends that he could have ever, ever asked for. It's like all the complicated poop felt easier because of it. And she's like, are these are friends that you went to see the other day? And he's like, yeah, it's just different now. He's like, I left it for too long, I guess. And she's like, well, fudge all that. She's like, if if I had even the smallest promise of a connection like that out there, she's like, I'd do everything it took to get it back. And Vic's like, well, he's like, you know, I, I've had a few things on, on my plate, you know, the butts and mortis. And she says that she's starting to think that the world's always going to need rescuing. But you got to wonder, when you're out there saving the planet, who the fudge is rescuing you? And Vic's like, you're so high right now. And she says, he says, yeah, I'm pretty lit. And then he says, but you're also pretty right. And then he's like, thanks. So she smokes some more. And then she ex- exhales a big puff of smoke. And it just kind of like hangs her. And it turns like purple and pink. And then there's like no one else around. So it's like kind of dark. There's no one by the pool. And then the the smoke kind of like drops, like kind of rains down over, over the pool. And it makes these sort of like shimmery, like little solid pieces on top of the water. So she starts like stepping on them and like walking across the pool. And then she sees Kay in the middle, like sitting on one. And Kay's like kind of pulling pieces out, you know, and there's like sticking them in the air and just kind of floating. So she says to Kay, she's like, I'm sorry. She's like, I know I fudged up. She's like, what's new, right? She's like, I should have known better. I shouldn't even be thinking about her or anybody else. She's like, and I definitely shouldn't be treating this body like it was mine. I haven't even been around long enough to, to see it grow, how it's changed. It's not mine. It's yours. And Kay kind of looks up at her and Jane's like, it's always been yours. I'm sorry. And Kay puts her, her hand on Jane's cheek. She's like, it's our body, Jane. And Jane smiles. And then she's back at the party. She like looks at the joint. She kind of tosses it. She's like, I am super high. And then she sees this young kid in kind of like a squire's tunic smoking. And she's like, Willoughby? And the kid's like, Jane? And when we see Jane, she's turned into like this 11-year-old. Rouge and Rita, or Rouge finds Rita outside this bus station. Rita's a kid now too. And she's like, this is so unfair. You're perfectly fine, of course. And Rouge's like, the spell didn't work on me. She's like, I just, I saw myself as a teenager and I, I, I couldn't. It was a horrible time for me. A time I'd rather forget. So I used my ability to change back. But underneath this, I'm very much not fine, Rita. And little Rita's like, that is so typical. You're such a control freak. And she's like, I'm a control freak? And Rita's like, I wish I had your power. Then I could be anything, anyone. She's like, I could disappear forever and no one would be able to find me. And Rouge is like, it's not that simple. And she's like, oh, whatever. And Rouge is like, a, a long time ago, when people found out about my power, they didn't react the way you'd expect them to. She's like, I lost a lot of people that I thought you know, I mattered to. People think about their teenage years. They think about their first love, staying out late, dreaming big dreams. But for me, it was different. And she's like, she thinks of that freckle-faced girl she used to be, and she has this like burning, piercing hurt in her chest. She's like, my mother used to always say that heartbreak stains the soul. And she's like, I believe that to be true, except for me, it's different. It's 
like a void, like a chasm, standing between me and any hope of finding a true, meaningful connection. It's like, maybe that's why I'm the way I am. Maybe by now, I'm the chasm. And Rita's like, well, what about me? We used to be good friends, didn't we? When I felt alone and lost, and, and like I didn't even know myself, you're the one person that made me feel like everything was going to be okay. It's like, I miss that. I miss you. But things are different now. You hurt me. And I'll never have my best friend back ever again. Rouge like kind of turns Rita's head to her and she's like, I miss you too. And I never stopped thinking about how I hurt you and how I am so, so sorry, Rita. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about how I, I hurt you and what I did to you, to Malcolm, to the sisterhood. And I, I don't deserve an ounce of forgiveness and I never will. She starts sobbing. I never will. I'm so, so sorry. She continues sobbing. And then, then she's turned into a kid. And then Rita puts her arm around her and Rouge has her arm around Rita. Cliff is getting beer like poured into him somewhere and he's like laughing. Uh, little kid Jane and Willoughby come up and she, Jane's like, we have to go now. And Willoughby's like, we have to go to Miss April now before we get any worse. And Jane tries like pulling um, him and he's like, he's like, just leave me alone. And she's like, what's wrong with you? Why are you being so weird? And he's like, He's like, because I'm weird, okay? He's like, look at this oven mitt. That's weird. And it was like weird, this whole thing. This is like, is this like a Riverdale reference? Because Jughead, <laughs> I shouldn't be saying this, but Jughead talks about like, he's like, look at this hat. I'm wearing this hat. That's weird. He's like, and, I, and it's okay. Then, then um, she yells, she's like, what the fudge are you talking about? Because why would she have watched Riverdale? Why would Cliff watch it? I don't know, whatever. Then everyone kind of like backs off and he's like, oh, it's cool. We're cool. Because, you know, they're arguing and, you know, things are getting intense. He suggests that they take the party to a new location and everyone like cheers. And Jane's like, are you crazy? It's like, you're going to choose some burnouts to go party with over your actual fudging friends? He's like, actual friends? You mean the actual friends who just want me to punch poop for them? The actual friends who don't even care to ask if I'm doing okay when clearly I'm not? And he walks away. Willoughby's like, where the heck is Vic? There's a knock on an apartment door. Derek opens Vic, Vic's friends. He's like, WTF? And Vic's like, it's it's me, Derek. It's Vic. And you know he's, he's a kid now. He has like a tear. He gives Derek a hug. Larry starts to wake up in the cabin. Mr. 104 is back to sitting. He's again looking beat. And he says it's it's not the first time that he saw it, a piece of, of Larry's past. He's like, it's actually quite illuminating. And he's like, it seems to me you have a little guardian angel. And he's like, you mean Keek? And 104 is like, and the spirit before him. I see you've been through a lot together. And then 104 starts like groaning in pain. He's like, I joined Dr. Janice because I wanted to stop causing suffering, but I'm a beacon for it. And Larry's like, what do you mean? 104 says that you know he's trying to reverse his condition. The thing that his body can do, it's taking a toll. There are misfires from the, the changing compositions. And he's like, one day I might not be able to control it. And Larry's like, well, what then? And 104 is like, a mass extinction event. The only way I can stop it is if I fulfill the pledge I made to Immortus and return their longevity. And Larry's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I don't know what you've gotten yourself into, but I've been around long enough to know a devil's bargain when I see one. He's like, this doesn't sound right. 104 says that what wasn't right was them in that room forced to kill over and over again. Immortus can make that go away. And Larry gets up and he's like, well, let me help you. He's like, what? What we went through, what you're going through, he's like, I get it. He also thinks that there's like another way that doesn't have to involve a pledge 
of violence. He extends his hand to help him up. He's like, Larry. And one of four gets up. He's like, Rama. Then Keeg expels out of, of, out of Rama, one of four, and goes back into Larry. And they both chuckle. And Larry asks Keeg, he's like, is, if, is this, was this the plan all along? And then there's like um, some like snipping noise, like reality is being cut. This doorway appears behind Larry. There's like this green smoky light. And then Larry's like pulled back. Uh, Mr. 104 Rama, he like, Larry, he like jumps in after him. Kid Willoughby's like yelling in frustration. He's like, this can't be how I die. And Jane's like, can you just let me turn into a pile of splooge without all the whining and screaming? Then some of uh, those other hooded dudes that were with Willoughby, they come up and they're like, my, 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 you've been a naughty little boy, haven't you, Willoughby? And he's like, what are you doing here? And they're like, to rescue you, of course. So one like bends down, he opens like this pet carrier and that little, I guess it's a rabbit, Bunbury, whatever, the little thing, chitters. And uh, it's the it's, uh, subtitles say, poor, powerless, pistane Willoughby. If you want your magic back, I suggest you get in line. This generous offer doesn't come with a bargaining option. So try not to test my patience. Then Willoughby walks over to him and Jane's like, what's going on? Bunbury like sneezes like a cloud of smoke on him. And Willoughby turns back to normal. Then Bunbury's like, now, in, in whatever subtitles, like, now come here, sweetie, let's have a little chat. He's like, come on, I won't bite. But then little Jane turns to run. There's a purple cloud of smoke. And then now she's a baby on the ground. And Bunbury's like, oh, aren't you just precious? Gucci, Gucci, goo. And Willoughby's like, just take what you need and be done with it. And then it's uh, Bunbury's like silence and its eyes like are purple, whatever. And then baby Jane starts crying and there's like purple light, like washing over her face and Willoughby just like looks away. So I don't know what Bunbury is doing, what Bunbury is taking, but it's like, Oh, we do find out um, next episode. Bunbury is taking something away. So I'm going to leave that um, for you to wait but you should be watching the show. It's just it's, it's just such an amazing show. Okay, and now the movie feature is Babylon. So Babylon was directed by Damien Chazelle, who did uh, La La Land, um, Whiplash, and you know other other stuff. So you know he he has a, a lot of recognition stuff like that. A lot of people are saying that this this movie is a flop, and. I, I guess that's debate. Maybe it is. I guess you have to say that. So here's the thing. I mean, the movie has Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. I mean, they're they're great in this. Gene Smart is is really good. Um, Diego Calva. Um, I don't know who he is. He was in Narcos, Narcos Mexico. Um, he was really good in in the, in the role as as well. And and there's just a, there's a, a lot of good actors here. Toby Maguire, you know, he doesn't have a big role, but when he comes in, he's he's really good. And I part of me like doesn't want to spoil anything because I don't know what's what's out there. You know, if there's been any any mention of like what he's doing, his character, or anything like that. So the movie, the budget was like around eighty million, and apparently it's it's only done like maybe six million so far, like the first weekend. So the way I'm looking at it, the movie has no rating. Um, it, to my knowledge, I, I think it, it's it's you know they're, they're, it's a they went with no rating. It's a, th- a three hour. Pl- I think it's like almost like three hours and twenty minutes. So I could see if the movie doesn't have a rating, 
my, from what I know, there's going to be some theater chains that won't play it. That they absolutely refuse. Like when this and this things may have changed in it, but I'm I'm looking back like you know years back when I worked in movie theater that like when the NC-17 rating first came out, there was like some theater chains. Their policy was we will not show an NC-17 movie, and it, the stupid thinking is that NC-17 is is something pornographic. That is absolutely not what an NC-17 rating means. The NC-17 rating was designed to to make it clear it wasn't pornographic cuz the the idea when a movie is rated X X is not an official motion picture association of america or whatever rating X is just an arbitrary rating that anyone can give themselves you cannot give yourself an R rating a PG13 rating you can't give yourself a G rating movies need to be submitted to the MPAA they look at it then they decide okay this is a G this is PG this is whatever so if it's NC-17, it just means that it could be overly violent. It could be, you know, there could be a lot of nudity. You know, it doesn't have to be a sexual thing. With this movie, the reason I'm assuming it, it they went with no rating is it, it opens up. There's this big, lavish Hollywood party. And there, there is some nudity. There are some people having sex. You don't see anything. You just see like people together, kind of like bumping and grinding. But you don't actually see. You see, you see breasts. You see lots of breasts. I don't even know if you see any penis, penis, penises, peni. I don't even know if you see any any ding dongs, you know, flopping around. There might be. I wasn't like looking for him and there's just like so much, there's so many people. I'm sure if you, you paused it, if you turn up the, the, the bright brightness a little bit, maybe there are some there. I, I don't know. So I'm sure that this is why, you know, there's a lot of drug usage and, and stuff like that. So it's probably like all this stuff. They're like, yeah, we're not going to be able to get an R rating for this. So let's just not even bother. We'll just release it. No rating. So that right there could limit the number of theaters. I could be totally wrong. Like, let me see. I mean, if you look at the number of theaters, uh, just looking at comparing to Avatar. So, you know, Avatar, just, you know, billion dollars, whatever, worldwide, blah, blah, blah. So uh, Avatar, according to Box Office Mojo, is playing in 4,202 theaters and Babylon is in 3,343. So that's like maybe 900 theaters difference. And, you know, maybe that's not that much, that big of a deal. But if you think about how much you know, tickets cost and if they sell out and so, you know, what I, so it, it can make a big, big deal. Babylon is not going to be selling out like Avatar is, you know, it's, it's just, it's a different type of movie. I honest, completely honest, you know, with, with how I'm, I, I'm not glued to social media and stuff like that. I don't have time to look at, you know, so a lot of times I see news, you know, a little later than I used to when, when I was on there all the time. I do, when I prepare for this podcast, I look at all the news and stuff like that. But with, with all of that, you know, every week I'm like scouring, looking for stuff so I can report on the news here. I knew nothing about this movie and I love Brad Pitt. And I, I, I really like Margot Robbie. I really like Margot Robbie after this movie. You know, I, I did before. I thought she was great in here. I knew nothing about Babylon. Like even when the movie came out, I, it wasn't even on my, my radar. I may have seen that it was listed as, as release and just I didn't even recognize it. And then a trailer came out. I'm like, what? Brad Pitt has a movie coming out? Margot Robbie? What, what's going on here? So I think that there was just like no real major promotion for this movie and you know maybe i just missed it you know maybe other people saw it 
so, so I think a lot of people were just un- unaware about this. And because you know, I was thinking, I was like, this is crazy. You know, Christmas Day, they always open like some big theater, some big movie in theaters because not everyone celebrates Christmas and not everyone wants to just stick around with the family. You know, they, a lot of people want to go to the movies, you know, like, Oh, let's have our, our dinner or whatever. We'll go to the movie or vice versa, whatever. So I knew nothing about this movie and I feel like the lack of promotion might be another thing. And you know, this is, it's not like this is a family movie either. So, you know, you can't really market it as like, Oh, you know, this is the next Hollywood blockbuster thing because it's not a family movie. And that's usually what they try to do during the holiday. So this probably may not be the best time to have released it, but regardless, you know, they want to release it in this calendar year. So it's eligible for Oscars and stuff like that. And it should get nominated. I mean, there are some good performances here. So all that being said, it's considered a flop because it did not do very well at the box office. I think I mean I don't like I said I I think it, it's just a, a really good movie. The fact that it's three hours, that didn't phase me in the, the slightest bit. With Avatar, which I did like Avatar, and I am not the biggest fan of the first movie at all. You know I, I've made that clear. With the second one, as I mentioned, was it last week? You know, after like the first hour, I actually I looked at the time. I'm like, holy crap! There's still two more hours left of this. And it's not that I was completely bored or anything. I was just, I was I was getting antsy, and you know I as I did say last week, I did appreciate Avatar's running time. You know, with that last hour, with all the battles and everything like that, I can appreciate this like hour spent in the world building. You know, showing us this water culture, tribe, people, whatever. It was really cool just to see everything, plus the graphics and you know the the 3D is just it, everything looked cool. This movie was different. It this was you know over three hours. I was not ever you know like oh, how much time is left and what is going on. I was just like really intrigued with it, and I feel like this was just like a like a story. It as as I described it, it felt like it was a journey. You know, you're going back back in time. What is the the movie about? It starts out like um, I think it was like 19, 1926 or something like that. It's like during the twenties. So this is when, you know, Hollywood's first starting off. You got the silent movies and everything like that. And as, as I mentioned, there's this big Hollywood party. Uh, Manny, uh, Diego Cal- Calva, he, you know, he works, he like works for someone who works, you know, works for like the big Hollywood dude. They're having this big party and he has, his job is to get this elephant onto the, the, the top of this mountain this hill you know where the, the big mansion is and uh the party's going on you know brad pitt he's like this big hot shot hollywood actor you know he's like the highest paid actor you know he's blah 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 stuff like that margot robbie she's uh she's an act actress actor but she's that hasn't done anything you know she kind of crashes the party and uh manny kind of helps her in whatever that that's where it starts off. So that's where you get this big party. Things kind of fall into motion is because when uh, Margot Robbie's character Nelly, when um, she's uh, you know she's just like dancing around and because you know there's like all this this drugs and and stuff like that. She uh, she 
See, I, I don't know if I, 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 this isn't spoiling things, but this other young actress was at the party who shouldn't have been there because she's like, I think she was underage, but she like OD'd on drug from, I don't know if it was the, the house owner was partying with her, whatever, which is a, this is probably another, okay, the, what happens there is probably something that would be call for the rating. And I, I won't describe what happened in that first scene, but it was just like, ugh, not my thing at all. I, I will go on record saying that. So when you see that, you know, I will never partake in something like that. So because this girl ODs, she's supposed to be on set the next day. The, the one dude's like, you know, one of Hollywood dudes, you know, he's like, he's pissed at the, at the, the, the rich dude or whatever. And they see Margot Robbie dancing with her. He's like her, you know, 10 o'clock, whatever, tell her to be there. So that's how she gets her break. And because when um, she and Manny were talking in, you know, before she started dancing or anything like that, you know, they were both saying how they both want to, you know, be part of Hollywood and stuff like that. Because, you know, she just really wants to do this. And he says that, you know, he just wants to be on a set. He just wants to be part of something bigger, something that's lasting and stuff like that. He's like, I don't care what it is, you know, just doing anything, just being the part of that. You know, he doesn't want to be an actor. He just wants to be part of the whole process. Just, you know, do make the magic happen. So she kind of gets her break, and then she goes there. So what's really cool about this is, you know, we we and and how accurate, how realistic is this? I don't know, but it, you know, I'm assuming there's somewhat, you know, they're not going to exaggerate it, to, and I'm sure there's some exaggeration, obviously. But we we see like on on like the big huge set that like there's like multiple movies filming at the same time. And, you know, they're like in, in, out in the desert, you have different like locations, different structures and, you know, different little little rooms set up, you know, fake fake rooms where they're filming and stuff like that. And just the whole thing with with it being silent. What was weird is, you know, it's, it's a silent movie, but they like with a lot of the, what they're showing us being filmed. They have like full orchestras like playing while they're filming and just like trying to do anything. And maybe they're recording it and they're just going to loop them together. I don't know. But we, we just see how everything goes on and um and Margot Robbie in her her scene, she's just she really nails it. Uh and, and it's the, the there's this you know lady director and she's just like really impressed and everything like that. That's what launches her career. And then you know, so there there is a lot of depravity, a lot of partying and everything like that. But just the idea with the silent movie and how how it works, and then on the cusp of this is when um, talking movies start coming out. So then you can kind of see how this is going to change things. And they even go into, there's this whole scene like where Margot Robbie's like first doing a scene with, with sound and the microphones and just like how sensitive and, you know, you have to be in your mark because the microphone's set up like way right here. And if you're off just a little bit, it's not going to work and you got to refilm it and just, uh, just like so much little, little details like that. Which I could see maybe some people not wanting that, but I I thought it was was great, and I, I just really loved all this was, you know. And so time is going by, you know, time ticks by, you know, it's like a next year, next whatever, and you're seeing as the, like the industry is evolving and and how you know the careers are, are going and falling and and you know like, um, you know, Manny he does get pulled into it by you know being at the right place at the right time and and, and so forth, so they both like progress and you know so we we follow um manny and nelly and then we see you know brad pitt's character there's this other um other story as as well um jovan uh, adepo he uh plays 
a, a black musician and you know so you you see his his story about um when they they start putting you know they wanted uh quote unquote negroes on on camera and you know just doing that and kind of it's it's just a little uncomfortable because you know that's just how it was like you see you know when they, they start like kind of basically using him it's like oh we have this black musician let's you know part you know people want to see this so we can start making movies and and you know he's just he goes to this one party and you can tell he's like just uncomfortable the way they're like flocking around him like he's just novelty thing and then there's this other moment with him that's just a uh, kind of like really heartbreaking when um which I I don't want to spoil things but there's one moment on set where I, I, they they want I, I can't, I'm not gonna give that away but it's just it's just like man this is just what do you do and and they really try guilting him into like going along with this thing because like if he, if he doesn't do this then the movies can't happen and then like all these people are gonna lose their jobs or not be able to feed their family and so he makes a, the right choice after that but you just really see how, how it happens and how, you know, rising stars don't last, you know, forever. And um, just seeing like the, the downside and, and um, it, it's things get bad for, for some people. And uh, again, how realistic is all this? I, I don't know. And I really don't care because it was a movie. You know, I, I don't think it was ever listed as like this is based off a true story or anything like that. It's just telling a story. And, you know, I I thought that that was 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 good. So um, let's see. It's it's received five nominations for the 80th Golden Globe Awards, including Best Motion Picture, Musical Comedy, nine nominations in the Critics Choice Awards, including Best Pictures. So it has some good whatever reviews. But on Rotten Tomatoes, it's at a 55 percent. Let's see. Uh, consensus: Babylon's overwhelming muchness is exhausting, but much like the industry it honors, its well-acted, well-crafted glitz and glamour can often be an effective distraction. So, uh, yeah, I mean, whatever. I'm not going to go through all those. I, I, I thought it was good. I, I thought it was just really cool to see this, and and I, I liked the running time. I, I was a little hesitant. I was like, oh, do I want to sit in this, you know, three hour plus movie? But I went on a Tuesday afternoon since you know, I was off of work. And, and I, th- I think that that helped, you know, just seeing it, you know, in, instead of going at night or something like that and not having to worry about work the next day or anything. So it was just nice. It was a nice escape. And, you know, I was able to get sucked into And that's the whole reason, you know, you go to the movie. You want to get pulled into this world and just, you know, be immersed in it. And, and I just felt like I was. So that's really much all there is to say. You know, there's there's a lot of different cool scenes, and and you know, some people may have said that there's too many storylines, there's too many this or that, or what. I I thought it was just right. I I just really enjoyed seeing the different stories play out, and and I enjoyed it. So I think it should be seen. Is it a must see on the big screen? I it, it's I think it, it's just good to to see it with all the sound and you know the the music and just just seeing all the, all the detail and I thought that they just did a really good job. So I that's it. That's all I have to say. I liked it. I think it's worth seeing. I don't know why people don't like it. I don't know if it has to do with the running time or with the the rating. What it was? I thought it was a good movie. So I I I think you should see it. And with that, 
that is going to be the end of another podcast. So this is was this was the last podcast of 2022. So thank you for letting this happen. Big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And uh, I've recently been talking about a bunch of movies. Uh, this week, I I need to get on it. Um, I might do another quick off my mind. There's a, a topic that came up and there's, there's another movie I want to talk about too. I still haven't decided like what comic arc. I thought I had something in mind, but now I'm not sure. So um, we'll see. Um, so stay tuned for that, which I know I need to get on that like ASAP. But um, if you can't commit to a monthly, but it's, it's another 30 minutes podcast. Last week was like almost an hour bonus podcast. So if you want more, you, you can get it and you can help out the show. And, and just be my hero. If you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. And that is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. So what is going to be next week? There's still that, that white noise movie, the Adam driver. Um, I don't know about that. Uh, Cause there's also, there's a movie coming in theater uh, called Megan. Um, if you've seen the trailer, I think I've only watched one trailer and because I you know I don't want to see too much. Megan is a marvel of artificial intelligence, a lifelike doll that's programmed to be a child's greatest companion and a parent's greatest ally. Designed by Gemma, a brilliant roboticist, Megan, and it's Megan with a three, can listen, watch, and learn as it plays the role of a friend and teacher, playmate and protector. When Gemma becomes the unexpected caretaker of her eight-year-old niece, she decides to give the girl a Megan prototype, a decision that leads to unimaginable consequences. So basically, it's like Chucky. And um, I'm sure it can't be that obviously the same. Maybe there's going to be some... It, it looks probably silly. I'll, I'll probably see that because why not? So stay tuned for that. Um, other than that, you know, there's going to be you know, more National Treasure, more Doom Patrol, more His Dark Material. I'm not sure if anything else is starting, any other TV show starting just yet. But hopefully I can get through His Dark Material first before the other stuff starts you know, starts up. So that is going to be it for, for this episode. And again, like I said, thanks for, for being here this, this past year, the past you know few years. Thank you for your support and you know thank you for listening. I hope you had a great year. I hope uh, 2023 is going to be amazing and fantastic for you. I hope you are doing well. I hope you are finding time to do things that you like. I hope you're able, you know, have the means to do things that you like. I hope you're taking care of yourself. And I hope you remember to be good to each other.